Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Wrapping up the day's sporting issues deep into the night, this is Extra Time on SENZ. I'm going to Very good evening. Welcome into Extra Time. Mark Watson with you through to 11 o'clock tonight. Telephone number here on the program is 0800 150 811. That's 0800 150 811. You can engage with us via text on 8833. We'd love you to be part of the program tonight. Uh, around about 20 past seven, we're going to catch up with Zane Bojack, NRL commentator for ABC in Australia. We just want to have uh, run our eye over what has been a weekend of upsets in the NRL and talk about what we can expect this week and whether or not that gladiatorial nature that is now starting to overflow into a little bit of argy-bargy and some pretty negative play, is it a good thing or a bad thing in terms of promoting the game in terms of bums on seats? Uh, We live in a very politically correct culture driven by the far left, but I'm not sure that everybody necessarily agrees. I don't think too many people have a problem with a bit of argy-bargy. I think a lot of people have a problem with the concussion side of the sport. Um, But we've got to be careful that we don't dumb sport down too much to appease a small group in a a political environment that I describe as identity politics. Um, As I say, there's something about mankind and the way we're programmed. You'll often pick up a newspaper and man's defeats will be on the front pages, man's victories on the back, and there is a reason for that. Go to any game of rugby, a major test match, say between the All Blacks and South Africa, if there's a big punch-up, 50,000 people will get to their feet. State of origin was built on the biff. This is a gladiatorial game. This is a tough game. There is always going to be a little bit of niggle. There is a fine line, however, though, between built-up frustration, throwing some handbags, and that deliberate attempt to maim a player. And I think Wawera Hargraves went too far for the Roosters against the Rabbitohs yesterday. However, I think Burgess is just a straight-out thug and would be easy to niggle and potentially now might only be available if, in fact, the Rabbitohs go through to the grand final when you look at the outcome or the possible outcome of the judiciary system. 
want to have that discussion a little bit later on. Um, after, and by the way, again, just reinforce that telephone number 0800 150 After 8 o'clock, Dale Budge is going to join us on the program. Now, Dale, um, well-known sort of uh, broadcaster, has a lot to do with rugby league, but has based himself out in Pukekohe for a long time. He's got a wonderful website which promotes the whole Manny, county's Manukau sort of sporting scene. And we saw over the weekend the last sort of supercars, the last really of the major motorsporting events to be held at the famous raceway that is Pukekohe. It's going to be turned into a racing track for the horses. Um, the Horsing Brigade own that piece of land. How much is Pukekohe part of the identity of that community? Um, how much of a loss is it? You know, we don't have a lot of um, stadiums anymore that have that rich history. We've still got Eden Park, probably best described as a cemetery with chips. Uh, but you go around and a lot of the um, great sporting venues have sort of slowly been eroded, haven't they? There's been talking about trying to get rid of Speedway at Western Springs, which I hope never happens. Um, you go back down to... Lancaster Park and Dunedin, uh, Lancaster Park and Christchurch. Earthquake is taking care of that, and now we're going to end up losing Pukekohe. Going to head slightly further south. So I want to have a discussion on that as well. Um, one of the other topics that I want to talk about tonight too is, has the UK gone a little bit too over the top with cancelling their football and some of their sport in the name of the death of the Queen? I'm not a big royalist and I'll provide you my rationale a little bit later on uh, and I'm keen to get your thoughts on it. And please don't be afraid to be pro-royal or anti-royal. I don't want to get into a big royal bashing situation by any means, but yeah, I um, I don't know. I was looking forward to my English Premier League this weekend and I was hoping tonight that we'd be talking about Liverpool having a victory and Spurs having beaten Manchester City um, and I'm just not sure where they're going to fit that game into already a congested season uh, due to the FIFA World Cup taking up an eight-week window. Um, should we stop sport for dignitaries' deaths? I'm pleased we haven't in this country. They're also giving us a public holiday because of it. I think we're all happy about the public holiday, but I'm not sure that a lot of us necessarily believe in the reasons why. We will look back on the US Open. Have we seen the future of tennis on the men's side? We will look at the sevens. The Australian women starting to get the wood over New Zealand women consistently now. Why? And our men, well, they continue to lose to Fiji, but I'm really pleased for Fiji. I've spent a lot of time up there. I know how much it means to the people of Fiji. It's their sport. Good on them. They are just simply a better side. And I'm not sure what sort of resource we can put into the men's side that you're necessarily going to beat them. You've only got to spend time up in Fiji at some of their sevens tournaments to realise what you're up against because the talent pool over there is remarkable. All that and a lot more on the programme. Um, 0800 150 you can text us here on double eight double three. Uh, ben Francis, very good evening, how are you? Very good mate, yourself? Yeah, good, what's been going on my good man, What's what what, what, what sort of music are we doing tonight? Uh, there's always a good variety, so I like to keep you on your toes. Yeah you do, what did we open with? 
So remember yesterday we played a bit of Bruce Springsteen and you, and you said I was at the song from the other night and I said no. So I thought I'd actually do the song that we opened that we played the other night so you could actually hear it again. Mm. But you played a different part of it, didn't you? No, it was the exact same part. Was it? Did yeah. we get the guitar rift in there? Yeah, it was. It was. It was faded very low behind you while you opened the show. Oh, okay. So people that didn't listen the other day, you probably should tell them. Well, it's a it's a cover of Bruce Springsteen's uh, "Ghost of Tom Joad" with Tom Morello when he was part of mm. the E Street Band. Yeah, are you a big royalist? Oh, I've never been. I, I guess I've nearly never really followed the royals too much. But my uh, nana, uh, she is she really likes Princess Anne, and because uh, being from Scotland and uh, Princess Anne's, uh, I don't know the official title, but there's the the involvement with Scottish rugby, um, and as I tend to watch Scotland play a lot more than the All Blacks, I you know, often see her at the game and in the crowd. Uh, when Flower of Scotland's playing, so that's probably that's probably as much as my I knew about the Royals before all this. Yeah, look, I think for an older generation, it's probably a lot more relevant. Um, Chris Ratu in the New Zealand Herald, um, someone I consider a friend. I know he polarises a lot of people, but he's also incredibly popular because he does have an opinion, and I think probably I share his view. And I'll just read it um, because we're going to talk about this a little bit later. He talks about the English Premier League um, being the losers. He, he does a column now, which is winners and losers, and he's put the EPL as a loser. He says, what he said here, as an ardent anti-royalist, it was sad to find the English Premier League matches had been postponed to honour the late Queen Elizabeth II. <laughs> I like this. She was a good old stick and one heck of a worker. You'd have trouble finding anyone with a bad word to say about her, mainly because she stayed neutral and aloof. And this is the part that I'm probably tend to be on board a little bit more with. But she represented a system of entitlement, privilege and far-flung exploitation that deserves far greater scrutiny than the firm's, and she's referring to um, the palace, rather than the firm's pop star status seems to allow. Sport sadly has played a big part in the incredibly successful rebranding of the Royals, particularly the way their new young stars were paraded at the 2012 London Olympics. Put it this way, there will be no bending of the knee in this column. Other people share that sentiment, and I want to keep it to sport. Like I say, I'm not, you know, head of state. Um, a lot of people, yeah, love the Royals. And look, they do do a lot for the British economy. Um, sometimes they bring a bit of, uh, I think the Queen probably brought a bit of common sense in some pretty difficult times. And um, I think society do need leaders. And for a lot of people, um, she provided that. Uh, been a lot of discussion around, well, yeah, but and she never really sort of got herself, you know, into too much strife. Uh, she kept her views fairly neutral. But I think it's easy when you're locked in to a job for life to be neutral than it is, say, perhaps being a politician who's constantly coming up for re-election and genuinely has to deal with politics. So royalty, sport, cancelling the English Premier League, cancelling of other sport, delaying the third test against South Africa. You agree or disagree with that? We'll have that conversation between now and 11, so stay tuned. It won't be this hour. Anyway, it is 10 minutes after 7. You are listening to SENZ, um, 0800 150811. You can text us here on double eight double three. Ben, anything else for me, mate? Oh, I have hey, Just quickly, just quickly, I'll get your thoughts on the league from over the weekend. Look, because I, I, I'm a big Warriors fan, generally when uh, the Warriors aren't playing, I don't watch as much as I used to just because, you know, life – busy. I used to watch every single game religiously, uh, so I, I was kind of keeping an eye on it, but boy, I really enjoyed 
uh, some of the, the contests uh, this weekend, especially uh, well, I think three of the four games stood out more so than others, which was the Raiders beating the Storm. I know lots of people felt the Storm were going to get up in that one, but my prediction at the, it, at the start of the year was they're going to start declining, and I think their loss kind of showed that. Uh, I love it. Love it when a game goes past extra time in the in the finals. Ninety three minutes for the winner in that uh, Cowboys Sharks game. It was very reminiscent of to an, or reminiscent of an extent to the Tigers Roosters game from two thousand ten, where mm. it was a Sean Kenny Dow try in the hundredth minute, which won it. So it was just that back and forth contest where no mm. one could kick the drop goal. But, but again, that's what you want. You know, I think part of the appeal of what the New Zealanders are now liking about the Indy cars that were settled this morning. Um, is the fact that it came down to the last race. I think what people love about the English Premier League is maybe yeah, Manchester City at the moment probably have gone clear, but anybody can beat anybody. And it's that not knowing the outcome, which I think is the appeal. And I think the NRL, this round of the playoffs, has demonstrated that again. If you're a betting fan, okay, probably most people are still going to go put their money on the Panthers. But we know too that it's those sides that get the momentum over the next three weeks that can cause the upset. And so you've got the Raiders, uh, you've got the Cowboys, you've got the Rabbitohs, all with a shot of this. Yeah, I guess the other thing as well with the Premier League is that there's always more to play for, so there's always those storylines there which you don't get in the sports. But I re- well, the game yesterday, which was the the, the old rivalry, the Roosters-Rabbitohs, was incredible. I get annoyed with some of the sin bidding calls, like, being a taller person, I get really annoyed and I get the head contact, but I hate it when people get sinbin when someone's yeah. falling into the tackle. Yeah, no, but, but but this is where they've got to come back and look at intent. Exactly. And, and, and this is the problem with rugby. Yep. Half the stuff, there is no genuine intent, is there? There is no genuine intent. You can see even at times, as you say, they're falling in or they're deliberately, they're trying to get in low if they can. They didn't quite execute it right, but it was not deliberate malice. Where you look at maybe while we were a Hargraves that started to sense, hey, here's a little bit of payback. Uh, for me, the jury's out on Burgess, whether he's legit or whether he's just a dirtbag. But I'm with you 100%. It kills the game. I guess the other thing as well is there were quite a few biffy moments. Love the biff. I, I do as well because that showed, to me that shows a true rivalry in sport, yeah. which we don't really get in many other sports now. You can look at across lots of sports and you know there's rivalry. In the Premier League you see it, but you see when, like, say, when United play Liverpool, both teams rise to the occasion. But if you look at, at rugby, where is the rivalry? Well, there? there's none. There's none because they've killed it. They've dumbed it. We know nothing about the coaches, nothing about the players. There's no argy-bargy. There's no narrative during the week. Sky just shut that down. Um, all the media have been bought by New Zealand Rugby and it gets to the 80 minutes in the middle of the park. It all starts to become a little bit too predictable and 20 minutes into the game you're bored and you think, oh, yeah, I'm not sure why I wasted my time. Um, But, yeah, look, I'm with you. I I, I have no problem with a bit of argy-bargy. My wife will sit down, and I think most mothers are the same. They don't mind seeing a little bit of niggle and they don't mind seeing a bit of fisty cuffs because they see their own young boys it plays out at primary school. It plays out at intermediate. It just happens amongst boys particularly. Um, it's the concussion issue. It's the big one. But I don't think it's the concussion issue so much. And as we said, those tackles, which don't necessarily have any genuine intent, they just happen to go slightly high in a play. The biggest issue I think facing rugby and rugby league is the fact that a player can use the lose, take a really decent knock, you can see that they're a little bit in Disneyland. They've lost a little bit of their cognitive function. Rather than just taking them off, they give them an HIA and then often put them back on the park. Or even if they don't come back on the park, a week later they're back out on the park. I'm sorry. If your son, if your eight-year-old kid or nine, you know, whatever, 
took a head knock and was concussed and had become a bit, you know, dopey and whatever, would you play them the next week in a game of rugby? Of course you wouldn't. And you probably wouldn't play them the week after. And then you might assess them for the third week. Look look at MMA. Everybody accuses it of being legalised prison violence, yet they have three doctors ringside, and if you are concussed or knocked out, three months stand down. Have you ever been concussed? Yes. It's horrible, isn't it? It's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely nasty. Yeah. So I, I can see it from that perspective, but I think, well, just going back to the kind of old Biff thing, it really brought out the rivalry in sport, and I guess even though it's not allowed in the game, unfortunately, because of the way things are in today's society, that's what gets people talking. Yeah, and that's what gets dictating? People... This is the thing that annoys me. Who's actually dictating this? Because the same people that are telling us... The PC what... police. Yeah, but they never go to the games. The same people that shut down the Wellington Sevens because of the alcohol, they never attended the games. So when the alcohol stopped, did they bother turning up? No, they didn't. No, they didn't. These people that don't want the buff, do they even go to the rugby league? No, they don't. And if they're not complaining about one thing, they're complaining about another thing. Trying to moral police society. And our media are so damn woke that they jump on it and go, oh, we've upset 2% of people, so we should tell the other 90% people not to do it. It's appalling, mate. Yeah, I, I just, I just, If you don't like it, don't watch it. Yeah, I, I just I just love seeing that rivalry because you know we got we got lots of TVs here and I'm like looking at lots of them and there just doesn't seem to be like that that big rivalry that used to be spoken about before in previous sport and that's what you love to see you love to see guys fighting for the jersey that they're wearing representing that jersey it makes sport a lot more entertaining. Okay, we'll take a break. We'll come back um, with Zane Bojack. We will look back over that weekend, gets his thoughts too, and I'm keen to just find out from him what he thought the big upset of the weekend was and how those enticing clashes for the second round of the playoffs look this weekend. We'll do that next. Finals footy is the best kind of footy and we're off. Cleary takes off, gives it away to Fisher-Harris and he scores the try. This is one of the great masterclasses. Parramatta still alive. Uh, but they're in do-or-die territory now. Parramatta 27, Parramatta 8. It's Melbourne versus Canberra from Amy Park on Nine's Wide World of Sports. White and back from a week off and Papali'i. It's Melbourne versus Canberra from Amy Park. Grant, he's a danger man. Nelson! Barrages his way over! Now Whiten out the back. Oh, seven. Oh, it's off his head! It's off his head! It should be a try! Rappiner has got the ball down. It came straight off the head of Chris. And the Canberra Raiders have knocked the Melbourne Storm out of the season. The Raiders soldier on to week two. A great game down in Melbourne. This should be a beauty as well. Robson, drink water. Oh! And try! They're in! Jason Chalvalolo has scored a try for the Cowboys. Yes, we are. We are going to extra times. Last play. Here we go. They go to Holmes. Valentine Holmes for the win. He strikes it. He's got it. Kicked it. He got it. Valentine Holmes has sent the Cowboys into a grand final qualifier after Golden Point. 92 and a half minutes in. We've had the most amazing first weekend of finals, have we saved the best till last. The winner will play Cronulla for a spot in a grand final qualifier. Mill with a high shot. They won't like this. And they 
contact with the head. Oh, he's got again. Is that seven? Yeah. Are they about to book their ticket to week two? Walker, Tass, Dummies, scores. Souths are in the week two. The Roosters' season is done. Souths have knocked the Roosters out. We'll see the trail again next week. Full time, South Sydney 30, Roosters 14. Oh, wonderful, wonderful weekend of finals footy. I tell you what, New Zealand rugby could learn a lot from rugby league in Australia, couldn't they? In fact, all of New Zealand sports. So just recapping, it was the Panthers over the Eels, 27-8. The Raiders beating the Storm, 28-20. The Sharks going down to the Cowboys in a classic, 32 points to 30. The Rabbitohs getting up over the Roosters, 30 points to 14. To talk about this, ABC rugby league commentator Zane Bojack joins us on the programme out of Queensland. Evening to you, Zane. Welcome. Hello, Mark. Does that mean that the Wallabies are going to win on Thursday night? Have you already have you already given the Bledisloe Cup to us for the first time in about 30 years? I tell you what, it sounds terrible, Zane. There's actually probably a few people hoping. There's so much disdain towards Ian Foster, our all-black coach, that people feel that the yeah. only way we're actually going to get rid of him is continue to lose and that maybe he falls on his own sword. I mean, that's the first time in the history of this country that I've actually heard that sentiment, but it's it's growing. It's a, well, look, I tell you what, to hear that from you as a New Zealander, that's music to my ears across the ditch here because we're used to getting flogged perpetually and of course uh, we're not going that well either uh, win-loss, win-loss against South Africa and against Argentina but uh, look it's going to be a huge one on Thursday night I know we're here to talk about rugby league but it's just interesting to hear that perception about uh, rugby over there because we know how big a sport it is and I just yeah, that, that's that's encouraging for my heart, can I say that? But I tell you what it was an unbelievable weekend of rugby league, it really was like the, the quality of the performance from Penrith, given that the previous week they'd rested all their players, and then they came, came out in front of their home fans and absolutely blitzed Parramatta. And there is going to be so much uh, observance this week on how Mitch Moses recovers from that head knock, because if he doesn't play this week, I just don't see um, how Parramatta can get over the Raiders later on um, this week. And, of course, the Raiders themselves... Is there any team in the NRL that's ever gone to Melbourne five times in a row and walked away with victory? To me, it's just remarkable, this performance that they've got. Maybe it's the fact that Craig Bellamy is the um, is good mates with head coach Ricky Stewart. And maybe, I don't know, I just can't work it out. Melbourne haven't been the same. To finish with three straight losses in the season, that's just something that you don't see, Mark. And that was a remarkable performance in itself. You heard the commentary of the ball um, uh, being ricocheting off the head and then Rappanar topping down. That was... That was amazing. And then, of course, the field goal from Bell Holmes, uh, of all places, to do it at his former home ground at Shark Park against a, a, a Cronulla team, which were very valiant. And lots been said about Bell Holmes um, diving on the ground when he was never, ever, ever going to get Connor Tracy in a, in a try movement, which I think um, Cronulla were wrongly stripped of um, by with a no try from the bunker. But just an unbelievable performance to come from eight down, essentially, with uh, about eight minutes to go. Um, there was that uh, that sin binning uh, on the Saturday night, which everyone said, oh, change the course of the game. Well, on Sunday, we had seven sin bins. We had five HIAs. Um, the Roosters, I think, they were cooked once the skipper, James Tedesco, couldn't go, come back on the field. And you had the weird situation where Tedesco couldn't play, yet they allowed Thomas Burgess to stay on the field. Then he tries to clock um, Matt Lodge about two minutes later and then gets, gets sin bin. And, of course, they couldn't replace um, James Tedesco with their 18th man when they could have 
if the original infringement had saw him sin bin, it was just a weird situation. I don't think it was one of Ashley Klein's best refereeing performances. But amidst all that mayhem, we've got the, the preliminary finals now for the Penrith Panthers and the North Queensland Cowboys. And then, of course, these massive games coming up. The Rabbitohs getting revenge against the Roosters. They now take on the Sharks, who have to recover from a 93-minute marathon at Shark Park on Saturday night. And, of course, the Parramatta Eels, who just cannot win a final under Brad Arthur, he's got the worst, I reckon, it have to be one of the worst grand, or worst coaching finals records. Um, he's only won two of ten. It's just remarkable. They now take on the Raiders, who I think have won eight of their last nine marks. So, look, it's, it's a really uh, a really interesting stage that we get to this weekend. Mm. Uh, Ricky Stewart, is he... I, I, God, he, he polarises me. He winds me up. Um... You know, you know, if, he didn't if, call you a weak gutted dog, did he? No, but if I was sitting in a media conference and I was there as a journalist and he acted the way he sometimes acts, I'd actually have a crack at him. I'd probably yeah. never be welcome back. But is, is, he, is, is he a coaching genius? I mean, is, is he the success behind the Raiders? Look, can I be a little bit facetious here? You're talking um, to I'm, me. You say live... what you want, my good man. You're talking to me. <laughs> I live halfway between Brisbane and the Gold Coast, so I do both the Broncos and the Titans. And I was stunned last year when the Gold Coast Titans decided that with a year left in his contract, they were going to release Jamal Fogarty to allow him to take up a three-year deal with the Canberra Raiders. We've seen how the Gold Coast Titans have gone this year. Well, I know Fogarty had a, a calf and an Achilles problem early in the season that kept him out for half of the year. But how well have they gone since he's gone into that number seven He's just freed up Jack Whiten. And they've got this young star at the back in Xavier Savage. He is loving what Fogarty is doing, just providing space for him. And look, um, I'll tell you, that this is the secret of the Raiders at the moment. Jamal Fogarty has just given them a new dimension because he's doing all the organising, doing beautiful kicks and just allowing Jack Whiten to run. And the other thing is, and this will please you guys across the ditch, they have got the best front rower in the game. And now I'm not talking about uh, our big man, and Josh Papali, I'm talking about Joe Tarpany. He is unbelievable. Um, you know, we think here in Queensland that Josh Papali is good, but Joe Tarpany, he's going to be the linchpin for the Kiwis in the World Cup. There's no doubt about that. He is the best front rower in the game. Stepping at the line, gets the offload away, makes, makes uh, almost 200 metres, and just the creativity that he can provide that side, I think that's the reason why the Raiders have just been... Wonderful. And then when you've got, you got off the back of that, this other dynamic second rower in Hudson Young, who's been a, a real dynamo. And he's also, I think, the X factor. There's a chance he might even get picked for the Kangaroos for the World Cup. He might be a real bolter. I think they're the reasons why the Raiders are where they are right now. Hey, can I ask you, just for some clarity, so the winner of the Eels-Raiders game, do they, do they end up playing North Queensland or do they end up playing Penrith in that semi-final no no the winner of the eels raiders takes on north queensland and the winner of uh, the other clash between the roosters and the sharks they go on to battle the penrith panthers so um Is, oh, i think there's a real chance we could have the grand final rematch um with south taking on penrith and i honestly think that there's a real chance we could have the raiders playing the cowboys up in up in townsville and imagine that a preliminary final between the third ranked team and the eighth-ranked mm. team, I think that's a real possibility. You see, I'm listening to you. I'm sort of sensing from you that you, uh, from what I'm listening, and you've sort of maybe just contradicted what I'm thinking by what you've just said, but I sort of sense maybe we're looking at a Penrith Raiders grand final. Oh, there's every chance. I mean, I, I will preface this by saying I'm a massive Cowboys fan, 
But I will I will say this, Mark, because um, I come from North Queensland. The thing that makes me nervous is the Cowboys will now host a preliminary final. They've never hosted one before, and I know the euphoria that's going on up there because my sister this morning was trying to get tickets, and it's just gone max hysteria up in North Queensland. I don't know whether that's a good thing because sometimes that, that white noise, that can actually distract mm. the team. The interesting thing for me is the Cowboys have already made three grand finals, that being in 05 when they lost to the Tigers, um, in, in 15 when they beat um, Brisbane, and then in 17 when they lost to the Storm. And on those three occasions, they won prelims, in other states, they they beat you know the the Melbourne Storm in 15 down in Melbourne in in 17. Um, they beat the Roosters to get into a grand final um, in Sydney uh, in 05. They beat Parramatta down in Sydney. So I don't know whether necessarily hosting a prelim is 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 going to be the positive that maybe the Cowboys want. I think they like the fact that they hopped in a plane, they went down to Sydney, they had their their minds focused on the game the whole time. They got out to Shark Park. And they were the underdogs, and I think they like that. I think now they go back to Townsville, mm. they are going to be the team that everyone expects to win. And particularly if they play the eighth-ranked Raiders, as good as they've been in their form, I think if the Raiders get through this week, I think they will go in as the underdogs, even though the, the Cowboys are, mm. are the second-ranked team. Oh, sorry, the third-ranked team. It is very, very interesting where we sit. I think the Raiders could make it through. And, and look, they've done it before in, in 1989. They didn't have a top eight. They had a top five. And the Raiders, I think, had to win six in a row to get into the finals. They then won three in a row um, to actually make the grand final and beat the Tigers against all the odds in the grand final, one of the greatest of all time. So the Raiders have done it before, but they've come from nowhere. I mean, I think halfway through the season, they were 15th position. So it's been a remarkable turnaround. But I I do think it has Mm. been predicated by the increased form of Joe Tarpanay and also... The um, when Jamal Fogarty come into that side, he has completely changed the dynamic of that team, and and they are sensational. They are playing very, very good football. Okay. How big a loss, Burgess, for the Rabbitohs? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's you're right. You're spot on. Um, look, I tell you what, I, I think it changes changes maybe the dynamic for this week. Um, it will be interesting to to see how it all all unfolds. Um, you know, the the Sharkies they'll probably be confident. Um, of, of getting through, but uh, the, the Rabbitohs have this bloke called Latrell Mitchell who's playing unbelievable football. And uh, the other thing that, that no one's really talking about is with Damien Cook coming back yesterday and then the performance of Lachlan Ilias, their number seven. Now, he's been under massive scrutiny because he's not Adam Reynolds. We know he's only a youngster. But he stood up yesterday. He really took it to the Roosters and he just gave enough space and enough time for Cody Walker and also uh, Latrell Mitchell to do their thing. The other thing is having Cam Murray back yesterday really helped them as well. I mean, the, 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 the interesting was thing that we only saw the footy every now and then amongst the fight. So it's, it's like the old story, you know, the ice hockey yeah. went to a fight and an ice hockey game broke out. Well, the rugby league broke out on occasion yesterday. But when it did, Latrell Mitchell was amazing. Kicking goals from everywhere. He went over for a try. When they're down to 11 men, Mark, it was 11 versus 13. And he still said, no, nah, you're not going to stop me. And over he went for a try. Alex Johnston with some bullet passes from, from Cody Walker. I mean, the Rabbitohs really turned it on yesterday. It was through forward aggression. Um, and, of course, you know, when, when you, you, you're sapping energy, aren't you, the Roosters, when you're losing Jarabri Hargreaves and you're losing Victor Radley twice. But, uh, look, it was an amazing final in a lot of ways. I think we've got to change the rules. I really think that off the back of what happened in Origin 3 this year where there was carnage, there was absolute carnage, and then yesterday... 
I think everyone's tackling too high, and I think Tom Burgess is an example of that. Twice he 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 clocked players yesterday. Lodge only got a fine, and yet funnily enough he got Sinbin for that one. He really he really um he really uh, clocked James Tedesco, and the Roosters were let down by the officiating because not only did Burgess not get Sinbin, but when uh, Tedesco went off the field with a HIA, they should have been allowed to activate their 18 player, and they couldn't do so. And, of course, with Lodge not going off a HIA, um, in the end, they weren't able to bring him on. So they, they really got penalised twice, and it's to Trent Robertson's credit that he didn't go off in the post-match presser because he probably had every right to. I think it was poor officiating yesterday. I mean, seriously, if Tane Milne and Victor Radley get sent twice to the sin bin, does that mean they should be sent off? Oh, well, I mean, look, you get and, two and, opportunities to go to the sin bin? Nah, look, in any other code, I mean, you see it in football, you see it in rugby, second yellow card, you are gone, you are gone. Look, you know, yeah. look, I, I, I'm sort of, you know, the biggest turn-off in this country for rugby, rugby league now is mums and dealing with the concussion issues that they're seeing. Yeah. Um, but at the same yeah. time, there's a fine line. I don't want to see the game dumbed down too much. I don't mind a little bit of a punch-up. I don't mind a little bit of argy-bargy. It's a gladiatorial game. It shows what it means to the teams. It creates that rivalry. And let's not kid ourselves. Other than the politically correct, everyone loves a good bit of fisticuffs. State of Origin was built on it. And so I take yeah. on board about lowering the height of the tackles. But I don't also want to see when there's genuinely no intent and they go slightly high, these yellow cards like we're seeing in rugby. See, a guy like Burgess, to me, I think he's just... Just a thug. I, yeah. I, I, I just uh, think I just think he's dumb. And, and, and I mean, in a rugby league sense, I just think he's dumb. And at times, he's always going to be a liability. Well, he certainly proved that for his side yesterday because yes, he was he was full of aggression, but he was very close to to being sent off. And imagine that if they go down to twelve for the full match as opposed to just ten minutes. Mm. I mean, to be honest with you, uh, I'm being a bit worried about the game. I don't mind the I don't mind the punches. Like we saw a ban on punching, and and you know the players told that they'll be automatically seen being if they throw a punch. Victor Radley yesterday, that wasn't even a punch. It was almost like a push in the face, and he gets sent for ten minutes. That to me, that got ten minutes, and yet some of the tackles that yeah. actually yeah. Um, didn't yeah. go the seen being blue blows my mind and I'm really concerned by the impact of CTE that these players are going to feel you know 20 30 years yeah, down the yeah, track. But, but, but they're see, not going to know can, can I just look can I just come in there Zane this is the thing I don't like and this is like I say my we'll sit down and my wife can tolerate a bit of a, a you know handbags and a few punches being thrown on origin she understands that you know it's aggression and there's a bit of niggle and it's gladiatorial and stuff and no one's ever really seems to get hurt in a bit of a punch up but what we don't like and I was just talking with um, Ben my producer here what I don't like in rugby and rugby league is if you take a head knock, right, and you lose your cognitive ability, so you're a bit shaky, you stand up, you're in Disneyland, you don't leave the field for an HIA. You just leave the damn field and you don't come back and you don't play the following week. You wouldn't send your own eight-year-old son back into a game of rugby a week later after he'd potentially picked up a brain injury. Well, I actually suffered the same thing myself. I played rugby um, in the Townsville District Rugby Union and First time I uh, came up into first grade, first tackle I made, bang, knocked out. And it happened again uh, two weeks later, and I had to sit out, I think, for about, uh, I have a feeling, a month. And um, I got knocked out for a third time about two weeks after I came back, and the doctor basically said to me, nah, you just got to sit out for the season, mate. You've had three bad head knocks. Now, you look at Cameron Murray. Yeah. That was back in the early 2000s, Mark. You look at Cameron Murray, he's getting hit by... By incredible force, much more than what I was getting in first grade yep. rugby in North yep. Queensland. Now, and he he got hit, he got rattled early yesterday, and he was coming off 
eight days of a massive head knock in last week. So, uh, firstly, you've got to be concerned about the fact that he played in the first place. Uh, yeah, but, and but, secondly, but, you've got to be concerned that he's also rattled and he's, he's and yeah. I, I couldn't believe that he stayed on the field, to be honest Yeah, but, but see, this is where the obligation to the club's got to be far greater. And I think that sometimes you've got to protect the player from the player, but, you know, the pressure's on the coaches and you sort of feel that the pressures, uh, pressures fall a little bit at times on the doctors. Hey, look, I, I'm going to have to wrap it up, but just quickly, Eels-Raiders, Sharks-Rabbitohs, who's going to win the Eels-Raiders game? I think the Raiders are going to get through it. Yep, and okay, Sharks-Rabbitohs? And I think... Uh, I think that, uh, look, it's very easy to get sucked in by the teams that win in, first, in week one and the top four teams that lose. But if the Sharks have got enough gas in them, I think they might be able to sneak through. But wouldn't be surprised the Rabbitohs get through, but I'm tipping the Sharks. Oh, Zane Bojack, you've probably never heard this, but you're a very, very attractive man, a very intelligent man in a very, very, pl- <laughs> in a very, very plutonic way. You, you must be knocked out right now to be saying that, but <laughs> I, I took, you better go and have a HIA. Well, I mate, I took on a, a, a cricketer once called Jesse Ryder in a celebrity fight, mate, and I think the delayed concussion just kicked in tonight. Anyway, hey, thanks. <laughs> Lovely to have you on the program, my good man. 20 minutes away from 0800-150-811 um, is the number if you want to have a chat on all things NRL. Some interesting discussion points. You would have heard us there talking about the concussion side of it, the Biff side of it, and clearly the contest side of it. And let's first and foremost, that's where the focus should be um, on the actual exciting rugby league that was played. Because of what's at stake, those other things tend to be a byproduct of it. 19 minutes away from eight. It's coming up to 13, uh, 14 and a half minutes away from 8 o'clock. You are listening to SENZ. Mark Watson with you through to 11 o'clock tonight. Telephone number if you do want to phone the programme, 0800 150 811. You can text us here on 8833. I love talking to Zane Bojack. Boy, what a character, eh? Um... Clearly, rugby league is his life, and I love that. I love that passion. You know, been a lot of discussion today around that Roosters-Rabbitohs contest with the seven yellow cards and the punch-ups and the cheap shots and the concussion. Um, like it or not, though, it actually enhances the rivalry, doesn't it? I mean, how much emphasis is going to be on that clash next season? whether it be home or away, whether they do play each other twice in the season, the Roosters versus the Rabbitohs. You know, we start to, sometimes, it's all very well to sit there on the moral high ground and sort of project this beautiful world of innocence and this harmonious place that the sports field should be, but that's not actually the way mankind is programmed. It's just not realistic. We are flawed. Um, for some reason, particularly males, we're programmed to like a little bit of negativity, some argy-bargy, some conflict and controversy. You look at boxing, biggest, most viewed televised in history are the big heavyweight championships. Mixed martial arts has it captures people for a reason. State of origin was built on the buff. Let's not kid ourselves. State against state, mate against mate. See, all the promos over the years, it's all about the big brawls as much as it is about the rugby league. And I think sports organisations need to wake up to this. It's all very well having your PowerPoint presentation saying we need to be the family brand. But that's just unrealistic, man. These are gladiators. A lot of these guys are from the other side of the tracks. There are some big shots that go in. There's a lot of niggle. There's a lot at stake. And I think the appeal is, why there's so much discussion today, positively or negatively, is because of that emotion overflowing, because of the controversy. 
Yeah, clearly there's a line that you can go too far on. But I don't like the way sport is dumbing everything down so much that they're almost patronising us. Oh, if we have this, people are not going to watch. Disagree. As I said, go back. Look at mixed martial arts. Look at boxing. Look at how popular those sports are. Why? Why? Why do we put all the man's defeats on the front pages of the papers and man's victories on the back? You You know in America that gun crime in America, violent crime in America is the lowest it's been since 1962. But we have this perception that it's high. But statistically, it's actually the lowest it's been for an awful long time. 60 odd years. But why we have a perception of it being high is because there's been a proliferation in the reporting of violent crime because it rates, because people like a train wreck. Rightly or wrong, that is human psychology. I think sometimes sports and broadcasters need to be able to tap into that part of man's psyche rather than trying to pretend or try and make us all act like, you know, some sort of saint or some sort of priest. And we're flawed, man. And I'll say this, but I see it with a lot with media. Go woke, go broke. You might want to have your say. We're going to continue this discussion uh, throughout the night anyway. But when we look at rugby in this country, what is there? Okay, the All Blacks lose, we get plenty of engagement again. There's more engagement around the All Blacks when they lose. Again, another train wreck. Reinforcing my point. But what is there to look forward to in rugby? I mean, the pre-game shows are awful. The post-game shows are irrelevant. We know nothing about the players. The TMO steps in at every two seconds. It's the same cliché crap at halftime from the coaches and the players. There's no angst anymore between any of the unions. That's all been shut down. Those that sit on the left, those that moral police us, do they actually turn up and watch any of this? No, they don't. Do those people that told us, oh, there's too much drinking at the Sevens in Wellington, it's too much of a party, there's too many people urinating in the street, it's disgraceful. Well, you got your way. That was all taken away. But did you then turn up? No, you didn't. We'll take a break. Ten minutes away from eight. Uh, we'll hear from um, Dale Budge, uh, Mr. Pukakoi himself, Mr. County's Manukau, a well-known sports broadcaster. I want to talk about uh, the shutting down of Pukakoi as a raceway. It's going to be the owners, which are the horse racing industry, uh, going to use it for those purposes. What does that mean? What sort of scar does it leave on Auckland? How much of Pukakoi's identity is in the round the famous motorsport circuit, and what will be the social and economical impact of motorsport no longer being in Pukekohe. Um, I just read an article too here on stuff. New Zealand rugby has been penalised losing $280,000 in sport New Zealand funding because of a lack of women on its board. Out of 65 major New Zealand sporting organisations, New Zealand rugby was the only one not to reach the government-mandated 40% women on boards quota. Sorry. You should never, ever have a quota legislated by the government. If it was 100% women, no issue with it. Equal opportunity, but you cannot have equal outcome. It doesn't work. History will prove it.
Might have that discussion later on in the night. Ben, enlighten me. What song are we playing? It sounds like you know it because you, you seem to have the words down, Pack. Have you been listening? Well, I know a version of it, I think. <laughs> well, it's, uh, of course, my favourite uh, Scottish musician, Paolo uh, Nutini there. Yep. Mark called through, was it last week, and said that he'd been listening. He was a fan now, and that was one of his favourites. So, listening there, Mark, that one's for you. And what's the song? Acid Eyes. Acid Eyes, there you go. Boy, it's good, isn't it? It's just something different. Anyway, welcome into SENZ, 8 o'clock, uh, just after. Uh, hopefully you've done with dinner and you're sitting back, you're chilling, relaxing. You can't be watching TV. There's nothing on television these days. You won't be watching Sky TV because there's nothing on Sky television worth watching these days. Well, there is a bit, to be honest. Anyway, um, you should be listening to us is what I'm saying. I'm going to talk to Dale Budge. Um out of County's Manukau, uh, broadcaster. Just want to get his thoughts. Lived in Pukekohe all his life. Pukekohe Raceway, been hand back over to County's Racing. They want to just develop um, their facilities and make it more of a horse race track rather than motorsport, which is incredibly sad. Um, it's quite iconic. It's arguably got a rich history, as rich as any sports venue in the country when you look at some of the names and some of the drivers that have been part of its history over the years. After nine o'clock, we are going to head across to the UK and we're going to catch up with Martin Cross. Now, Martin Cross is one of the voices for international rowing. In fact, Martin Cross um, was one of the two British voices that you would have heard last year in Tokyo when the New Zealand men's 8-1 gold. Um, I was lucky enough to work with Martin in the second week at the Tokyo Olympics on the kayaking. Now, we're going to go to the UK because I just want to get his thoughts on the death of the Queen and the way that sport has dealt with it, um, the tributes that sport have been, yeah, the tributes that sport have been giving uh, the death of the Queen. Uh, we'll call it honouring her. Uh, I've got to say, I, I'm not a big one on the royalty. I, I've Pretty disappointed they cancelled the English Premier League, to be honest. I think you can have a minute silence. I think you have black armbands. I think you can um, do a whole lot of different ways to commemorate a head of state passing. Personally, I think it's a little bit over the top. But I'm just keen to get the thoughts from Martin and the way Britain have done this and whether it's had the support of the sporting public and really whether or not they had any real choice. You've got to remember in the UK, the Queen um, is loved by most. Um, royalty is obviously a big part, plays a much larger part in their everyday life, culture and history than it perhaps does here. However, there are a lot of people in this country who are hardcore royalists, and I get that as well. So we will look at that after nine o'clock, um, and we'll also just reflect on some of the other big sporting moments from the weekend. Interesting that the women's sevens team, beaten by Australia again, Australia winning the gold medal at the Commonwealth Games. This doesn't surprise me. I probably about 10 years ago started going to the Coral Coast Sevens in Fiji. It's played in a town called Singatoka. Uh, emerging Sevens tournament over there. Incredibly high standard. And after about three years, they introduced the women's competition, knowing that the sport would make its Olympic debut in 2016. 
in the first couple of years, the standard was pretty average and they had a lot of Fijian teams, mainly made up from yeah, rural areas of Fiji or different tribes. But Germany would send down a, a women's team. There would always be a Canadian women's team taking part in the early years. And then one thing I noticed, the Australians would send two teams. They'd send their sort of established women's seven side, and they'd also send a team of women who had come from other sports trying to cross over and make sevens their game. But one thing that I noticed was there was never any New Zealand teams, women's teams up there, none whatsoever. And so it doesn't actually surprise me now that we've gone backwards, that we've gone backwards in Australia are going forwards. Typical of New Zealand rugby, almost a level of arrogance. No real vision in terms of development, no real vision in terms of succession planning, in terms of trying to build the base. This tournament still goes on. It's been held again, I think, in January 2023. There'll still be no, you know, interest taken from New Zealand. There'll be no development women's team up there. There'll be no regional teams up there competing. And yet it's the perfect opportunity to go and get some hardcore games in a very tough environment in the country that have laid, laid claim to the sport of sevens. So it doesn't really surprise me that Australia have, certainly over the last 12 months, leapfrogged New Zealand. However, we'd have the one everybody wants, and that is the gold medal, which we won in Tokyo. But a lot can happen over the next two years, as Australia is starting to prove. You might want to comment. You might want to have your say, 0800 150811. You can text the program here on 8833. We'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk some motorsport. Dale Budge next. It is 11 and a half minutes after 8. Dale Budge, uh, not too far away, but we did put the telephone number out there. We did offer people the opportunity to have their say, which we want to do right through to 11 o'clock tonight. So Eugene has phoned the program. Hi, Eugene. Yeah, hey, well, it's been a while. Um, I just want to have a bit of a yarn about um, the All Blacks. Maybe we were right when we were talking about put a bit of mongrel and put Jacobson in there. See, Jacobson's in the squad. Yeah, I don't think they'll play him. Uh, I think they will. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'd, I'd like, I don't know how much game time he's played. Clearly, he's had a few concussion issues. Um but yeah, he—I've he, he, always liked him. I'd like to see him as a more permanent number eight, a more permanent fixture of this All Black team, and then having you know Savia move to seven, and, and and you know, and Sam Kane actually on the bench if in the squad at all. Yeah, fair enough. Look, to be honest, I haven't rung up about the rugby. Oh, I see it being a bit dodgy being on a Thursday game. Um, and you look at the form, Australia's rocks one week, diamonds the next, and so are the All Blacks. If you're a betting purist, you'd probably back um, Australia 
plus twelve and a half a dollar eighty two, and then even the All Blacks twelve and under two dollars eighty, and have a look at it. But um, yeah, I see it being real dodgy, and I can see how just because we wasted Argentina by fifty, um, how everyone will probably jump on the All Blacks, and it's just yeah. it just just could be a bit of a uh, if Australia win the next game, then there'll be uh, more bums on seats, and, and look, yeah, but no you... one thought the All Blacks would lose. Um, Ireland would beat them in New Zealand, and no one ever thought Argentina would beat the All Blacks in New Zealand. Period. Now the only hoodoo is beating the All Blacks at Eden Park, and everybody's uh, it's underestimating that. I think a bit water. Yeah, look, Eugene. Uh, firstly, just on the whole betting of sport, I'll keep saying this: Las Vegas wasn't built on winners. Um, I think the intrigue is with sport is sometimes when you don't know what the outcome is, that's often what the appeal is. I think that's the appeal of the English Premier League. And I think that was probably the appeal of what we just saw over the weekend with the NRL, um, some of the upsets. Uh, look, this all-black team hasn't proven to us that they can put two big match performances back-to-back yet. And I think without the New Zealand public on their back to the degree they have been, I'm not sure they still would have got the job done. I, I just... It frustrates me that now apparently Argentina are the benchmarks for the All Blacks, beat Argentina and everything's okay. Argentina historically have never really put two games back-to-back um, against the big, big sides and never against the All Blacks. So I think they're always onto a hiding. I think they're probably partying off the back of that first famous win in New Zealand uh, the entire week. So I'm still not convinced. I think if the All Blacks go on and win the Bledisloe in two, go and beat Japan, Scotland, England and Wales at the end of the year, I think what that actually just reinforces is just how good Joe Schmidt is, just how good Jason Ryan is, and just how damn average Ian Foster is. Hey, Eugene, lovely to have you on the programme. Look, I, I do have to move along, but thank you, and don't be a stranger to the show. It is 15 minutes after 8, like uh, exciting weekend of... The supercars at Pukekohe, Shane Van Gisbergen saying that those two victories on Sunday meant more to him than winning Bathurst and picking up the Jim Richards trophy for the third well, for, for the third time. But it's an end of an era for one of the great sporting arenas in New Zealand is going to be no longer. The owners, County Manukau Racing Club, are taking it back and want to turn it into a horse racing facility, which is a real shame. Dale Budge, who's born and bred and lives in Pukekohe and has a lot to do with sport in the region and has a very, very good um, regional website around counties Manukau, now joins us on the programme to talk about this. Dale, good evening. Welcome. Hey, Mark. How you going? How much is the Pukekohe racetrack a part of Pukekohe's identity and brand? I think it's huge, mate, to be honest. And, and I think, um, you know, I grew up here, uh, you know, sort of in the 80s, you know, childhood. The you know, Sunday morning, you'd, you'd wake up, you'd hear the sound of, of cars or, or various types of racing um, from local club stuff to, you know, to big international events you'd hear cars, the sound of them drifting across the, the township. And it's just second nature. I sort of said the other day, it's like a white noise, but a comforting white noise for those that have, have grown up here. Mm. Um, it might sound silly, but it's, it's just what, what we know. And the whole the whole town is a motorsport town. You walk down Monaco Road, the the main road that the, the racetrack's on, stretches for about three or four k's. 
you look at all the industrial area there, every second business has some either direct or slightly indirect tie to motorsport. You know, you've got uh, the country's best off-roader, he's um, there with, with his business. You've got some of the best rally car preparation business possible. The late great Possum Bourne, his business was was preparing rally cars on Monaco Road. You've got, you know, it's the, the list goes all the way through from karting to speedway to every form of motorsport you can think of. And, and it's, I think it's because of the tie to that, that racetrack. I think for a lot of us, we were born into it, and it's just part of what we know in, in Pukekohe. And, um, look, it's, it's, it's sad. I, I, I sort of felt when that news came... Um, yeah, people said it was out of the blue. For me, it was inevitable that it was it was going to be the end because there's just not the money to invest in it. There's not the return for for the owners. The owners obviously need to concentrate on their core business, which is you know which has not always made been profitable. So I kind of understand it all. Um, and so to me, there was a little bit of inevitability about it. But now that it's here, the reality that we're done with it is. It's quite emotional. But Dale, I mean, we've seen over the years, haven't we, there's a thing called this sort of historical uh, trust and you see a lot of houses and buildings that get ratings put on them and local body or even central government come in and to protect them. You look at this, you know, the permanent, it became a permanent track replacing Ardmore in 1963, uh, home of the New Zealand Grand Prix, the only Grand Prix in existence outside of Formula One. You've had the likes of Sterling Moss, Graham Hill, Jackie Stewart, uh, Australian drivers, Peter Brock, Dick Johnson, Jim Richards, they all carved their name out on this track. Why couldn't more be done to protect the integrity, to protect this historical part of the New Zealand sporting fabric? Yeah, I've asked that question um, today. I, I certainly don't blame Auckland Thoroughbred Racing, which is the, the entity that's, I guess, the merged entity between Counties Racing Club and, and Auckland. Um, it's sort of transpired over the last 12, 18 months. Um, I think you have to sort of date back further than that. I don't know, it's, it's, it's a hard one, Mark, because, you know, we look at Athletic Park, there was a whole lot of conjecture around its future when decision was made there to go in a different direction and, you know, so much history lost. But, but we moved on and we've got a better facility as a result and, and sport is better off for, for making that change. The Yankees went away from old Yankee Stadium where, you know, the house that Babe Ruth built to a new Yankee Stadium and now 10... 15 years on from, from its construction, people don't really talk about, you know, missing the, the old facility. And I'm sure in time, once we get used to racing at Hampton Downs, because I'm sure that is the natural place, you know, 15 minutes down the road from, from Pukekohe, a state-of-the-art modern facility with all the mod cons, everything you need for good racing, probably better racing than what we see at what is essentially a drag strip, we will be better off. It's just really hard to bid farewell to the history to the memories that a lot of us have, have had of that place. and I think that what they will struggle to do at, at Hampton Downs, or any venue for that matter, is replicate the atmosphere you get from that that big hill with the crowd and so many people pushed into one little condensed area. It's pretty magic. You can you can feel you know, you can feel it yesterday when Van Gisbergen you know, parked the, the car on pole for, for the second race and the crowd bought, bought into it because it was, it was a bit of a surprise at the time. That wave of emotion, it's, yeah, that's what's going to be hard to replicate. Uh, yeah, and it's interesting because Scotty McLaughlin, both Scott Dixon, um, have come out uh, prior to the final round of the IndyCars and acknowledged that at a press conference, I think, for 
Scotty McLaughlin, it was his first race win in the V8 supercars in his career, so a special place for him as well, and we saw the emotion there for Shane Van Gisbergen. So for the people of Pukekohe, for the identity of your community and region, where to now? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the bit that's lost. Um, Hampton Downs is not far away. For those of us that are, are passionate about the sport, it's not a huge trek to, to, to drive for 15 minutes out to, to Hampton Downs, but it is across the, the border for those outside of the, the greater Auckland region. What that means is it's, you, you don't necessarily get... It's on the Auckland Council boundary, is what I'm saying. So having access to the Auckland money that has made a lot of these big events, made supercars possible um, since its return in 2013... That is not a foregone conclusion now because the the, the, new, the Hampton Downs racetrack sits just outside the, the boundary now. You can make a compelling case that the benefit is still going to be to walk with the hotel rooms and uh, a lot of the spend that teams and fans and spectators will, will make will come into the Auckland region. But technically, it does sit just outside the boundary. So it just complicates matters a little bit. But yeah, in terms of Pukekohe, I guess, I mean, look, things go on. Um, you know, I can't imagine those businesses that I talked about on Monaco Road closing down all of a sudden. It's still the hub. You know, it's still ingrained in, in what we are. Uh, it won't be quite the same. You're not going to have those hordes of people making their annual pilgrimage out to, to Pukekohe and, um, you know, having, having what we had across this race weekend. OK, let's talk about the thoroughbred industry. I mean, how big is it in Pukekohe? Is it an industry? I mean, you tend to think more around Cambridge, um, Karaka, possibly, which is, again, not too far from Pukekohe. Is, is, is it going to have some cut through? Is it going to become, um, yeah, is it going to become a focal point? I think, you know, but I'm, I'm, um, I have to caveat this to say that I've done an extreme amount of research on the thoroughbred industry, Mark, but... Well, but, but that's part of that's what part of that's part of my point, though, Dale. Does anyone actually care any more about it? I mean, you, you know, the race industry is not what it once was in this country. I, I mean, let's be honest. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's it's no, di- it's, it's, it's dying, mate. Comparison. I don't disagree, but it's not necessarily the comparison. The bottom line is, they own the facility, and that organisation needs to figure out the best way to make use of its of its resources for it to protect its ongoing liability. And so. From what I understand, Ellerslie is, is closed for the moment, so here the Auckland meetings will be held at Pukekohe over the next 18 months or so, including the Boxing Day races this year. And then once Ellerslie is open for business again, I think every thoroughbred horse trainer in the region will be pushed out to Pukekohe. That will be the training base. There'll be mm. a whole lot more infrastructure added to the current facilities, more stables to hold. Yeah, anyone that's basically involved in the industry in the greater Auckland region will be based out of Pukekohe and Ellerslie will simply be used for race meetings as opposed to a training facility. So yeah, you can make a compelling argument that that's a better use of resource. It, it might open some new doors, I'm sure. Um, you know, Pukekohe does have a, a rich history with, with horse racing. There's, there's plenty of renowned stables around this region and, and trainers, and um, it, is, it is a big part of the community. Perhaps not quite as identifiable as, as a motorsport, but to be fair, I don't know that that's a, a necessary comparison. Motorsport doesn't own that facility. It hasn't done for a long, long time. Okay, Dale. Hey, uh, look, Dale, you're a busy guy these days. You're involved in a lot of things, but you've actually sort of set up a, a website which is focused very much around the county's Manukau region in terms of local sport. Just tell us a little bit about that before we let you go. Oh, yeah, county sports up um, brainchild of a, a few of us that uh, live down this way, sports journalists, and got together um, over the last 10 years for a catch-up once or twice a year for, for a beer and talk about the industry and whatnot. And we sort of found a trend over that period of time that, you know, local media, the local um, Franklin County News here that used to service or still does service the community 
focuses as much on local sports. So we're not seeing the club rugby, the club cricket, the club netball being talked about like it once did. So came up with the idea of, of County Sports Hub. Um, we, we basically partner with all the, the local regional sports bodies and, and try and provide that coverage that, you know, once was a staple of our community newspapers. Um, and, yes, we're about 18 months, two years into into that journey and um, it's been a lot of fun. I feel like we're actually making a you know, contribution to the community and to, to sport, which is obviously what I'm passionate about. And, um, yeah, look forward to doing it for many years to come. And what's the website, Dale? Fantastic. Okay, look, lovely having you on the program, Matt. I know how passionate you are about your region and where you come from, mate, and uh, some wonderful insights, so thank you. No, thanks, Mike. Appreciate the support. There you go, Dale Budge joining us on the program. You do check out that County Sports Hub as well. Um, It's a really cool initiative, and I think it could be rolled out across a lot of different sports regions just so you can get your updates on your local netball comps and you can go to one place and sort of have your answers and hear from your local sort of footy clubs, etc., uh, so great initiative there from Dale Budge. Yeah, sad to see sort of Pocket Koe go. I, I'm a big, I'm a big one for history and tradition. I, I love that. The only one that I probably wouldn't have such a problem with seeing go, and this is where I contradict myself, is Eden Park. Uh, the cemetery with chips, which is what Chris Rowdy once described it as, because no one really turns up during minor ten cup games, and but you can still buy hot chips. Um, but I was in Toronto in 98, 99, when Maple Leaf Gardens um, shut was closing down. Now, Maple Leaf Gardens was the home of the Toronto Maple Leafs, and the Toronto Maple Leafs were one of the six original teams that started the National Hockey League, which is known as the NHL now. And of those six original teams, Maple Leaf Gardens was the last of the original six buildings still in use, because clearly the likes of Boston, Montreal, New York, etc., Chicago, Detroit had all moved into newer facilities. And you walked into Maple Leaf Gardens and you could see the wooden rafters, you could see the banners of the Stanley Cups they'd won, and there was just those little subtle idiosyncrasies, those little smells, those little um, quirky little things that only history and time can create. And they had this season called Memories and Dreams, and they celebrated, and then they moved into what was then the Air Canada Centre. And as Dale said, you know, people move on. Um, but you've just got to be careful that you just don't get rid of everything. That you one day look back and we've only got photographs to remind us. You know, we seem to do it with housing. Houses were okay and keeping historical homes, historical buildings. But what is it about sporting events and sporting venues? I mean, I imagine there's a lot of people in Wellington who miss the Millard Stand, tongue in cheek, of course. Those not familiar, Millard Stand was a very open stand, high up at Athletic Park in Wellington, exposed to the southerly. And you basically died of hypothermia if you didn't dress correctly during an all-black game. Um, but yeah, you might have some thoughts on that. What are some of the other historical sporting facilities and grounds in this country that you hope we do protect, that you hope we don't um, sell out to development or simply shut them down and no longer use for sporting use. Uh, ben? So you, you don't want to see uh, Western Springs get turned into a test cricket ground then? No, I love Western Springs. I used to go and watch the Speedway in the 1970s because I grew up in Mount Albert and Western Springs is just over the hill. You could always hear the cars at night if the wind was blowing the right direction. I used to go and watch um, the likes of Ivan Major, 
who's arguably our greatest ever, you know, one of the great New Zealand sportsmen. I used to go and watch guys like Barry Butterworth and um, who were some of the other names that you had back then, Ted Tracy, and all of these big American names. And it was very, very cool. And it was always, we always told that it was the best speed rate track in the world. And, you know, people move in and go, oh, you know, they move in and then somehow, somehow, um, Sorry, I've just had a text come from Sam Hewitt, which I'm going to just berate in a minute, so it's just distracted me. Sam, Sam, I'm coming after you, big fella. Um, but, you know, and then people move in and go, oh, we should shut it down. I don't like the noise. It's like, no, no, it was here before you turned up. It was here before you turned up. Same with people that move in suddenly around Eden Park and then start complaining. But let's be honest, why does cricket need Western Springs for international cricket? You've got Eden Park number two. No one goes and watches the damn thing anyway. It was tongue-in-cheek. I didn't expect you to go so head up about it. Yeah, that's right. But that's what we do. It's about engagement. The other thing that we should do, however, one thing we should do is change the name of Mount Smart to Mount Dumb, to Mount Stupid. I think Sam Hewitt appreciated that one. Sam Hewitt, who's a mad keen Boston fan in the hockey. He's a populist. You know, He supports New England Patriots when Brady's playing. He's probably a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan now. Um, but he knows that I'm a Maple Leafs fan, and he said, the rafters must have been empty, Watto. Well, we haven't won a Stanley Cup since 1967, but prior to that, the rafters were full, Sam. The difference between Maple Leafs fans and the Boston franchises is we don't buy performance. We're not Manchester City, big guy. It's 29 and a half minutes. Oh, Sam. Oh, sorry, Sam. Um, oh, Ben. Sorry, Ben. How rude. I know. It's uh, terrible, uh, isn't it? I was just going to quickly say, uh, so what's going to happen first? England winning the Football World Cup or Toronto winning a Stanley Cup? Oh, Toronto winning the Stanley Cup. It's ours next year. <laughs> Keep dreaming. No, that will. We'll, we'll, Mate, we'll, we'll, get, we'll, we'll, we'll get through a game seven, Sam. We'll get through a game seven. Uh, anyway, if you want to phone the program, 0800 those great sporting venues in New Zealand that you've been disappointed to see go, those that you want to make sure we protect, or do we just not have a rich enough sporting history in this country to really care? And I think there's an argument to that to a degree. Do we have profile enough? I know that places like Eden Park are highly revered in France. I want to play at Eden Park, but like Alice Park in South Africa. But it's interesting, isn't it, how we romanticise things overseas and yet we don't sometimes recognise what's in our own backyard. 0800 150 you can text us here on double eight double three. Oh, what wonderful, wonderful selection of music tonight. Well done to you, Ben Francis. Uh, just a reminder, around about 20 past nine tonight, we'll go to the voice of rowing, international rowing commentator Martin Cross on the programme. Martin won gold, 1984 for Great Britain, won bronze in 1980. We're going to talk to him about uh, British sport and the impact the Queen's death has had on sport and what sport have done to pay tribute. I've got to say, I don't agree. I'm not a big royalist. I don't agree with shutting, having, or postponing this weekend's rounds of the English Premier League. I still think you can honour the Queen by playing. I was hoping tonight that we'd be talking about 
Spurs having beaten Man City, Liverpool back on the winning ways, Manchester United losing. Um, to sort of sum up my views on royalty, and I do want to have this discussion after nine o'clock, um, I'll just read you a little piece, and I read this earlier from Chris Ratu in today's paper. He writes this thing called Winners and Losers, and he actually puts the EPL down as a loser. And I've got to agree with him. He says this. He says, as an ardent anti-royalist, it was sad to find the English Premier League matches had been postponed to honour the late Queen Elizabeth. She was a good old stick <laughs> and one heck of a worker. You'll have trouble finding anyone with a bad word to say about it, mainly because she stayed neutral and aloof. But she represented, and this is the bit where I'm in agreement, she represented a system of entitlement, privilege and a far-flung exploitation that deserves greater, far greater scrutiny than the firm's pop star status seems to allow. Sport sadly has played a big part in the incredibly successful rebranding of the Royals, particularly the way the new young stars were paraded at the 2012 London Olympics. So we might just um, explore that a little bit later on tonight uh, as part of that discussion with rowing commentator Martin Cross. But Patrick's phone through. Hi, Patrick. Yes, hi. Um, the, the way the black caps are, are turned out uh, is like um, somebody who didn't know how to wear a mask. I mean, they were thinking about ways of how they're going to better than or the way they were going to lose the match rather than win it. Oh, look, it starts with the captaincy of Kane Williamson. Not, I'm not impressed with Kane Williamson at the moment. I think he's a great cricketer, but I don't think I think his time's done. I think he's distracted. I think, like Bolt, um, I think there's too much money on offer. I struggled with the fact he had an elbow injury through most of the New Zealand summer, but miraculously came right for the. Um, IPL. Um, I don't think he's aggressive enough. I think Gary Stedder's coach is too conservative. And yep. if we're to get over this mental block that we have against Australia, then we need to adopt a Brendan McCullum type approach. We need to play with more freedom and we need to throw caution into the wind. We need Australia to want to play us regularly, I think, to keep our players playing at the highest level in this sport because they are the benchmarks. And I think when you look at cricket and you want to, you know, nationalism, when a sport creates nationalism, you get a large uptake. The Olympics are a proof of that, the Commonwealth Games. Cricket, if people, if they want to see numbers increase, they want to see everybody talking about cricket and buzzing about it, we need to beat Australia in tests in Australia, and we haven't done it since 1985, Patrick. Yes. Well, also, um, what, 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 do you, what do you think, as well as the coach and the captain, do you think a bit of the responsibility is there at the top with Chris White as well, or do you think he's a, not a bad uh, dude? Oh, no, there? look, I think David White, like, it's David White. Yeah, look, um, I think David White, like anything, I think at times just leadership needs to be turned over. You need a fresh set of eyes. I think he's been in the job a long time. I was pretty disappointed when I read about what, um, uh, what Ross Taylor said around the way um, the influence that David White had on some of the decision making, not good yep. enough for a CEO. And so, is there going to be a review now? I mean, let's be honest, we've dropped a test against Bangladesh, yep. uh, which we should never do. We drew a series against, I think, a very young and experienced South African team. We've got beaten up badly by England in three tests. Yes, we've gone away to the West Indies, beaten Ireland and the West Indies, but we reminisce the West Indies like they're the 1980s team. They're not. Uh, they're another team that have just been absolutely. Um, picked to pieces by the players playing in the T20 leagues and making a hell of a lot of money. And we need to sit down. There needs to be a review. The New Zealand public needs to start asking questions of New Zealand cricket like they do with the All Blacks. Yep. 
Mm. Yeah. Yes. All right, Patrick. Lovely to have you on the program. Thank you. You're always a good man. Uh, Sam Hewitt texting in again. Sam Hewitt, he just can't let this go, can he, Sam? Um, don't buy performance, question marks. Have a look at the salary cap file up. Maple Leafs, the most expensive roster on the books. Sam Hewitt's trying to tell me that three of the most expensive players in the NHL are with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Sam, it's Canadian dollars, my good man. What's the exchange rate, Ben? What's the exchange rate, the Canadian dollar to the US? Uh, 77 US cents is equivalent to one Canadian dollar. See, there you go. Take off 23% of their value, Sam. And if we've got three of the most expensive, I would have thought that the Boston Bruins have probably got the other four. Anyway, <laughs> just in regards, we've, we're having the conversation around Pukekohe and some of the great sporting venues and ones that we didn't really want to sort of see disappear and ones we'll never get back. Um, this one here from uh, someone saying Carisbrook uh, was real. Um, I was anti to that being shut down, had character. Yeah, Caris, you did. You sort of grew up with Carisbrook, Lancaster Park, didn't you? Athletic Park in Wellington, you know, Eden Park in Auckland. And you look at it, what's left? Eden Park in Auckland. Ironically, we don't want it. <laughs> well, a lot of people don't want it. Um, here's one. I like this text, and I appreciate this is Carlos. And I like Carlos because he always signs off Carlos, and then he has You'll Never Walk Alone. The man is a patriot. Have we got that music there for us, Ben? We probably need to sing a rendition. Sam Hewitt, if you're listening, mate, I'll get you to sing with me too. And then we'll come back and read the text. Sing it out, people. Sing it out. Sing it out. Hold your head up high. And here's Garth Galloway saying, I can't sing. And don't be afraid. Of the dark Mate, I'm abstract man At the end Oh, it's beautiful, isn't it? It is beautiful That goes out to you, Carlos Anyway, I'll read your text, Carlos Please don't let the black caps off the hook tonight. Why is Gavin Larson not accountable as a selector? Once again, we loaded our team against Australia with all-rounders, but no specialist spinner, no wish Sodi. Australia's top wicket-taker was a leg spinner, Adam Zampa, with seven wickets. Santner took just two wickets. New Zealand cricket hierarchy love conformity and resist change. There's a great quote that sums up this. Excellence in obscurity is better than mediocrity in the spotlight. Getting emotional. It's quite good. It's a bit like I'd rather be... Would you rather be extraordinary in the realm of the ordinary or ordinary in the realm of the extraordinary? See, Maple Leafs fans are the other one. Boston Bruins fans are the first one. Um, do, do not go for conformity. That breeds mediocrity. Choose instead to stand for transformation. Watson, what are you? are a beautiful man. Yes, 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 Carlos. You sure that's not... No, my wife wouldn't call me that. thought it might have been my wife texting him, but she wouldn't call me a beautiful man. Look, I don't disagree, mate. I mean, we just, it's the same old, same old, isn't it? We're just so damn scared for change. We just want to play the percentages. You know, let's not try and bring any X factor in. Okay, so let's take an example of um, uh, Ish Sadie. Who's our other, sorry, who's our other spinner that we've been talking about? Mitch Santner. No, no, um, took the 10 wickets in the test. Sorry, Ajaz Patel. Ajaz Patel. I mean, take a guy like Patel. Take some risks. Bring these guys in. Give them a chance, man. You know, we're not winning with this current group of players, are we? But more importantly, we need a captain who actually has some vision. And as good as Kane Williamson is, and while he ticks the PowerPoint box in the presentation, there's nothing cutting edge about him. You just don't sense there's any real vision. He's not a transformational player, is he? 
Anyway, uh, anything you want to talk about up till nine o'clock, we're taking your calls. So we've had a little bit on the rugby. We've had a little bit now on cricket. We've had a number of people texting in on sporting venues, uh, retaining history, maintaining some character. We're losing Pukekohe. It's been taken over by thoroughbred industry. We're moving further down the road to Hampton Downs. Look, in time, Hampton Downs will establish itself. There'll be a new set of drivers that in 60 years' time will be reminiscing and romancing. But where does it all stop? Or are we too young? Or is sport just not big? Is New Zealand, in terms of the world stage, are we ever going to have a Wrigley Field? Are we ever going to have a Fenway Park? Are we ever going to have Maple Leaf Gardens here? Are they the types of thing tourists are going to turn up to? One thing they should do when they take the tours of Eden Park, take them into the urinals. Just show them what a, such a modern stadium it is. You know, take them into the urinals and get them to sniff in the magnificence that is Eden Park. Smell the urine and smell the chips in the distance. Look out over the cemetery. Go and buy the gourmet burger for about 13 bucks where the lettuce is hotter than the meat, and if you drop it, it bounces back up. Have you done a stadium tour at Eden Park? No. I'll tell you, do you want to know what the best part about it is? Leaving? <laughs> I wasn't going to say that. I was actually, there's actually one cool thing about touring the stadium, but it's, it's something you can't see. It's, uh, it's how one of the stands is built on top of like this massive volcanic rock. So they've got this volcanic rock and there's like this door that you can pull open. You can actually see it and that's what the stand's built on. That's probably the best thing about the tour. What made you go on a tour, Ben? What was, made yeah, you uh, roll uh, up and pay your money to go on a tour of Eden Park? I didn't pay for it. Uh, this was a couple of years ago. Okay, that makes – I was going to go, mate, you've got to be pretty dumb to well, pay for no, it. Because well, what happened was my partner – they've got the glamping tents there and my partner thought that would be nice for his birthday. Oh, let's go and glamp at Eden Park. Yeah, well, she thought it would be nice. Oh, we could look at the grass and smell the urine and we could get dinner there. We could buy a gourmet burger for 13 bucks. Well, no, they didn't have dinner available that night, but a, a tour came with it, so it was – it was. Yeah. When you go on the Eden Park tour, do they take you to the gallows at the back of the ground? You know, because when you walk into Eden Park and you try and take in your own water or a salad roll, they basically strip search you and you feel like you're smuggling drugs into Singapore and you're thinking, God, please don't get my salad roll, which I've got tucked under my armpit. Please don't take me out the back and hang me. God, after all, I'm just a paying customer. Yeah, there, there were a few wrapped uh, sandwiches and tinfoil on the ground. Honestly, mate. Um, Michael's just texting on Willie Lose. Yeah, look, I worked with Willie at um, Radio Sport News Talk ZB. Good, good man. Uh, you talked to Willie, you know, he did come from a pretty tough upbringing, Calston Boys High School. You know, did really well for himself as a rugby player and as a broadcaster. Um, unfairly treated sometimes by certain people in the media um, on some of it, but yeah, good, good guy. Um, yeah, really saddened by that news. Blew me away, actually. I was out running when someone phoned me and let me know that it had just been announced that he had passed away. Don't wish that upon anyone 55 years of age. Good man, Willie Lose. I'll take a break and I'll come back and um, we'll uh, read the text out from Jason from Maroolbark in Melbourne, Victoria. Is that correct? Maroolbark? Maroolbark. Maroolbark. Anyway. 
It is seven minutes away from nine o'clock. You are listening to SENZ. So Jason from Maroolabark in Melbourne has texted a couple of texts. He says, hi, Mark. I'm not sure if you spelt this wrong. I'm not quite sure what this first was. Is it a compliment or is he bagging me? Hi, Mark. You are a meanie talent in New Zealand. I never saw you on television in Australia. I would have wanted to see you on Australian television. Take that as a compliment. What, because I have an opinion? And over here, if you have an opinion, you don't get on television? <laughs> <laughs> Mark, if you come to Melbourne, um, have a tour of the MCG. I've actually done the tour of the MCG. I actually was lucky enough. I used to be sports marketing manager for Nike here in New Zealand, and I actually went across to Australia because the late 90s, Nike in Australia brought the Brazilian soccer team over, and I went over because we sort of came under them. And I was lucky enough, I actually had a – I kicked a football around on the MCG with a player by the name of Danielson, who was the highest-played footballer in the world at the time. Still got a photo of that. Um, and, yeah – Brilliant MCG, rich in history. You could never imagine the MCG being closed, would you ever, or Lords? But I guess the only way you get to that level of history is by not shutting things down. Um, and by the way, and he goes on to say the biggest event the MCG has ever held was not a sporting event. It was a revival meeting by the deceased American evangelist Billy Graham in the 1960s. There you go. What is it about religion? They're terrible with money. Always wanting money. Anyone ever seen that Bill Burr piece of comedy on that? It's very funny. Very, very funny indeed. Um, what was I going to talk about? Oh, yeah, no, I had a text too just coming through regarding um, someone just saying, if you look at Ravindra, Patel and Sodi, all treated like crap by New Zealand cricket, what do they have in common? Ross Taylor maybe had a point in his book. Is there an element of racism still running through New Zealand cricket because that's sort of what you took out from some of the experts in Ross Taylor's book. That's certainly my interpretation. And does that still exist? We might look at that after nine o'clock. I know growing up and trying to play cricket, you would never make the Auckland team unless you went to St Kennegan's Kings or Auckland Grammar, played for Cornwall or Parnell. Very high socioeconomic, very, very white You hope that's not the case now. Mind you, New Zealand cricket have done nothing to tap into the resource of South Auckland, have they? You've got the equivalent of the West Indians living in South Auckland. What have we done to tap into it? Nothing. Ben, that sounds like the feelers. Incorrect. No, I know it's incorrect, but it sounds like the feelers. But it's not the feelers. Got a nice... Who is it? It's, it's a Kiwi band, so you're on the right track. It's not she had, is it? It is she had. God, I always get the two confused. How disrespectful. I know, because I always expect she had to just come in a little sort of slightly heavier. I've got to be honest, never been a big she had fan. I I actually got to say, I really enjoyed the feelers when they came out, and I think it's one of the great first up albums. We'll get some feelers for tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Anyway. A welcome in, if you've just joined us. This is SENZ, Mark Watson with you through to 11. Telephone number is 0800 150 uh, Around about 20 minutes time, we're going to head to the UK. We're going to catch up with Martin Cross. Now, Martin Cross is a rowing commentator. He was a gold medalist in 1984 in the Coxed Four. New Zealand won a bronze in that. Was it the eight? Might have been the eight. New Zealand finished fourth. Uh, also won a bronze medal at Moscow um, in one of the big boats in 1980. 
Uh, you would have heard his voice last year in Tokyo when, if you're watching the rowing. Now, I was lucky enough to work with Martin at the Tokyo Olympics and the kayaking in the following week. Now, I've got to get him on the program tonight because I just sort of want to get a sense of how big the death of the Queen is in regards to sport over there and if postponing, say, the round of games in the English Premier League, if that was supported, um, if people in the UK buy into that uh, and that was just the right thing to do and there's not really a discussion around it. And what sport has gone ahead? How have they um, paid tribute to the Queen? Now, I'm not a big royalist and I know I don't think you are either, are you, being not a big royalist? You come on here and tell me, mate. Uh, not, no, nah, not really, but I guess um, I'm not saying I'm getting into it, but I've, I've learned quite a bit over the last few days. And uh, I remember on the Thursday night, I was just going to be at it around midnight and seeing the news about... God, you go to bed at midnight, mate. Yeah, I, I, am, I do stay up pretty late. God, I'm in bed by eight. <laughs> if I'm not working, seriously, man, I'm in bed by eight. I'm well, done. Yeah, I, I think it's just used to just doing like the night shifts. So I am used to get staying up late, but go, I get up early. Yeah, yeah my, fair enough. My partner works early, but um, yeah. So I, I went to bed around midnight, and I saw the news come out about the Queen, and I was quite surprised. And one commentator made the point saying they never put out statements like this. So I was like, okay, this must be serious. And I didn't expect to wake up five hours later to hear that she'd passed away. Yeah, yeah no, I was driving down to the Ames Games to do some commentary on Friday morning. I was listening to BBC World Service, a little um thing had come through on my app saying that the royal family had been rushed to Balmoral and then officially about 5.30 the official announcement came through that she'd been passed away uh, Passed away. and look um, I think there's a line here from Chris Ratu Chris Ratu, the columnist for the New Zealand Herald uh, Chris is a friend, I, um, I know he's polarising but I think a couple of things in here I probably agree with, I think she's been a wonderful statesman, stateswoman um, but I think it's easy to be a, um, an ambassador and a statesman when you've got a job for life, where you're not politically having to be re-elected and um, the knives come out and sometimes you sort of, to survive, you almost sort of have to be morally corrupt but sort of legally correct and then some, of course, become morally corrupt and also illegal. Um, but to me, there's a bit of this in my thinking, um, and Chris goes, says, Chris Ratu says, as an ardent anti-royalist, it was sad to find the English Premier League matches had been postponed to honour the late Queen Elizabeth. Oh, I agree. Uh, she was a good old stick and one heck of a worker. You'd have trouble finding anyone with a bad word to say about her, mainly because she stayed neutral and aloof. But she represented a system, and this is where I'm very much in agreement, she represented a system of entitlement, privilege and far-flung exploitation that deserves far greater scrutiny than the firm's pop star status seems to allow. Sport sadly has played a big part in the incredible success of rebranding the Royals, particularly the way the new young stars were paraded at the 2012 London Olympics. Put it this way, there will be no bending of the knee in this column. Thoughts on that? Do you think that sport should be shut down for the death of a head of state? One who was not elected necessarily, one who inherited the job, inherited the role. Surely you can still celebrate, honour and recognise without having to cancel sport. I mean, I would have thought sport is a great way to escape from the emotional grief that clearly a lot of people in the UK feel. A bit of escapism. Oh, 800.
150811. Hi, Mark. Hi, Mark. How are you? Good, thanks. Good. I, well, I'm a very happy Australian sports fan, considering we won a whole lot over the weekend. I'm not going to rub it in because I'm half Kiwi, so I'm sensitive to my New Zealand side of the family too with the cricket and uh, the sevens. But I was always very impressed by the Queen. Like, she was even bought, she was alive even before I was born in 72. So she's been alive all my life. And I just feel a huge gulf of her not being there anymore. Because to me, she was my favourite royal because... She had a life that was free of controversy. I mean, she didn't um, have the controversy in a life like, you know, Charles did when him and Camilla were cheating on Diana or Andrew, you know, with his recent legal controversy with uh, the Jeffrey Epstein stuff. But um, she and Prince Philip were married for over 50 years. They were totally in love with each other. And to me, she was a real... She was a real woman and she was a brave woman. Because keep in mind, she drove ambulances in London during the Blitz in World War II. Yeah, but Mark, I think a lot of people have done that. I think there's a lot of people happily married. I think there's a lot of people that give up their time and do really good things. I understand what you're saying. I mean, she if, if you want to be a role model, if you want to be a head of state and you need to look for somebody that you want to model yourself on, you model yourself on Queen Elizabeth. No doubt about it, Mark. Um, but I just think cancelling of sport and stuff just taking it all a bit too far, in my opinion. Yep. And Well, here's a funny anecdote uh, which proves the Queen had a sense of humour. On Twitter earlier in the week, I saw, thinking about the time the Queen hazed the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia at Balmoral by going Mario Andretti in her Land Rover. After lunch, the Queen had asked her royal guests whether he would like a tour of the estate. Prompted by his foreign minister, the urbane Prince Saud, an initially hesitant Abdullah, had agreed. The royal Land Rovers were drawn up in front of the castle. As instructed, the Crown Prince climbed into the front seat of the front Land Rover, his interpreter on the seat behind. But then a surprising twist. The Queen herself was Abdullah's driver. To his surprise, the Queen climbed into the driving seat, turned the ignition and drove off. Women are not yet allowed to drive in Saudi Arabia. And Abdullah was not used to being driven by a woman, let alone a Queen. And she wasn't just driving. She was driving, leaving Abdullah a quivering wreck. His nervousness only increased as the Queen, an army driver in wartime, accelerated the Land Rover along the narrow Scottish estate roads, talking all the time. Through his interpreter, the Crown Prince implored the Queen to slow down and concentrate on the road ahead. So the Queen was a lady who didn't take any crap from anybody, and she knew how to stand her ground and make an impression on people in a positive way. Yep, no, well said, Mark, well said. Like I say, um, I'm not here to tell other people what they should think of the Queen and where royalty should sit in their lives. Um, as I said, I'm sort of, I can see the positives, I can see the negatives. Um, you know, clearly has done a lot, clearly has done a lot Um Economically, for Great Britain, um, has brought a lot of tourism in. But I still think she could have done more. I still think they could do more. Taking your calls, nine minute after nine two. I just um, we had a discussion with Dale Budge earlier too, just talking about Pukekohe, um, the loss that it'll mean for the community out there. It's been a big part of their identity for a long time. Um, what other sporting venues do we do? We get saddened when venues go. Uh, have we been around long enough? Is sport big enough here? Should we be hanging on to Eden Park because of the Springbok Tour of 81 and the Springbok Tour of 1956 and the Baby Blacks and a famous record? I mean, we lost Carrisbrook, um, Lancaster Park, Athletic Park. Now Pukekohe's going. We've still got Manfield, haven't we, down there in fielding? 0800 150811. Stephen, good evening. Welcome. 
Hello, mate. How are you? Good, thank you. Mr McIver. Yes, well, you sometimes you push buttons, Mark, that I, I think, well, I'll, I'll have a little a little chat. I, I'm, I'm not so sure that, that, that about the question on whether they should stop sport uh, because of the Queen. I think we have to look at it a little differently because of we're not British. We're, 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 we're colonials. Correct. We, we don't live on a daily basis, that, that whole royal family thing. And I think with thousands and hundreds of years of history go into... And it's an ingrained in a, an English person's DNA, uh, royalty in the royal family. And I think, yeah, maybe, but isn't it okay just once in 70-odd years, that she, or 96 years, that they, they pause for a moment and think about something else other than just sport? Yeah, no, look, Stephen, and it's a very, very, very valid point you make. And when I talk to Martin Cross at about 20 past nine, it's one of the things I'm going to say. Clearly, Britons see this very differently than we do. I mean, I've spoken to British people and they, yeah, they just love their queen. They love their royal family. Um, I've got to say, Stephen, and again, because I'm a colonial, um, I, I (laughs) I, I love the English Premier League more than I love the Queen. I was looking forward to Manchester City Spurs. I wanted to talk about it tonight. I don't want to see how my Liverpool team bounce back. Um, and oh, I, and, yeah, I, and but it's some, just a game. Hey, it's just a game of footy. It's just a game of footy. Yeah, but, but 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 Stephen, they do say they do say that in the UK, and I read this on the BBC that the happiest time for most for a lot of people in Britain is ten minutes to be at three on a Saturday, and that's symbolic of the fact that's ten minutes before kick off of that weekend's football games. And sport is a great way for people to escape. I mean, you can be having some. Yep. Pretty, you can have some pretty tough times here. Some great moments happen in sport, and you just get that little bit of escapism. And you know, if you are really mourning the Queen and you're doing it pretty tough, I, I don't know. I, I would have thought sport might be just a really lovely way to come together. Yeah, I also think it's. I think it's also nice to pause for a moment because we're not talking about a woman that's uh, affected us, but she had, in many ways, a huge impact on the rest of the world. Uh, but but in, in in such a humble way that she, she you still felt that the impact was subtle. You know what I'm saying? It's like she she wasn't going out there and trying to make a big. She was just doing her service to her country because that's what all she knew, right? And so and she, I mean, she has lived through times where people don't want to be part of the Commonwealth, and and every time that happened, she said, "Fine, go your own way." I think she was, in a funny way, quite progressive. And I think old Charlie, King Charles, then will probably follow in that thing, knowing that they are living in a world that is constantly changing and evolving, that they may just become quite the, the token royals, and that will be it. Yeah, yeah look, I think Charles realises right now, and I think we've seen that in those early speeches with the inclusion of Harry and Meghan and the way he's done things, he knows that he's got to be progressive. He knows that he's got to stay up with the times, or otherwise that royal family might start to become irrelevant. Look, it's interesting, Stephen. We've all been over to the UK. We've all worked for English broadcasters and various things. And the one thing you always feel in the UK is that through all of the bad times, the one thing that the UK, and I think what the Queen offered that country security, even when, you know, through the recent times of COVID, you go back throughout history and some of the tough times over the last 70 years, they've always had that rock and that's been the Queen and she was England's rock. But it's very hard for me living in this country to see it the same way. Yeah. Because yeah. I... Oh, yeah. We, I yeah. mean, our, par- our parents were like that, right? Our, yeah. our parents were total royalists. I'm not such a royalist. It's just this time you go, as you and I both know, we 
know no other individual that has as well you what if you accept it as a head of state it's been like that so, another subject you brought up because how I was there yesterday for the final run um, and it's a shame it's going but it's a it's a the the facilities are beyond oh they're just rubbish <laughs> they've been left into disregard and and, uh, and look you know what the the horse racing folk can have it but I know a lot of people in that paddock of quote Shane Van Gisbergen's father Robert cars for nags you've got to be kidding yeah yeah no but Stephen one of the points I made earlier tonight when sorry we were... nags for cars nags for cars yeah, but, but, my bad no, nags no, for cars you've got to be kidding yeah no I agree but one of the points I was making earlier it's funny in this country though isn't it that when we come to sort of historical buildings there will be you know that historical places trust and there'll be government that'll step in and you know, there's a debate around St James Theatre in Auckland at the moment. There'll be a lot to do to protect them, but we don't. But that doesn't seem to. You know, sometimes there are intangibles. You know, you, you're not going to get the famous grandstands that were built out of marble and no. have tested a thousand years. But there are just certain things that have been the lifeblood of the community. They're part of the sporting landscape here. You've only got to go back to the likes of the Sterling Mosses, those that have driven on that track, those that oh carved out their careers here. And why shouldn't oh why shouldn't there be money? Why shouldn't there be some room there to protect those and to put them under that same sort of classification, only for different reasons? Because in this country, uh, sport is considered only in, in one particular sport. And the, the sad thing of, uh, of this is, and I, I, I don't... I, 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 you know me, Mark. I've done a lot more than just motorsport, right? But oh, you've done everything, mate. Yeah. Uh, uh, the last 10 years, I've discovered the the enormous history that motorsport has played in this country, yet it is treated like a leper uh, by, by by the media and also and also by government. And so what do you expect? Yeah, but I mean, Stephen, you go right back, don't you? You go back to Fangio's race here. I was just looking through it. Graham Hill, Jackie Stewart, uh, Sterling Moss. These are some yep. of the biggest names globally in world yep. sport. Then you go back, Peter Brock, Dick Johnson, Jimmy Richards. Uh, I mean, they've raced yep. here. Show me what other venue has has attracted global superstars <laughs> in this country like motorsport has done. You can say rugby, but rugby, let's know. It's a minority sport in comparison to motorsport, mate. Yeah, we know that, uh, but you're always you will get shouted down, and and that's and that's what we you, you have to live with, right? I mean, but there, you know, the globe, the number of global sports are few and far between, and but we live like a we're a little um, suburb, really, when it comes to things like that. Mm. Uh, I just think it's it's a hey, look, I'm sad that it's going. I'm excited the fact that the iRacing people have agreed. A petition was put out. They have agreed to. Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, scan the track. So the track will not be lost electronically. So people in young sim races can race the track for forever and ever and ever. But those guardians of the facilities uh, should hang their heads in shame okay. because it's, it's horrific. Okay, I, I want to ask you this question, Stephen, because I'm a sentimentalist and I'm a traditionalist and I love history <laughs> and I love hanging on to that sort of stuff. And I was talking earlier about yep. Maple Leaf Gardens and the Toronto Maple Leafs and the last of the original standing <laughs> six buildings. But I'm not a fan of Eden Park. Chris Ratu described it as a cemetery with chips. I know all of the history. They romanticise it in France. They love it overseas. Eden Park, Eden Park. But I've got to be honest, I'd rather have Pukekohe stay and Eden Park go. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm one of those people that, you know, if we had a, if the Auckland had a council that had a brain and a half and, and knew how to run a business, that we would have had a, 
a better stadium or a downtown stadium, wherever you put it, a long time ago. It was never going to happen in time for the World Cup in 2011, but it would have been nice to think that a stadium that that could be a multi-purpose stadium uh, would have been done. Eden Park, look, I've been to many an event there and broadcast many of you there, and when that place is full, it's fantastic. But you know what? I'd rather see it now be intensified for housing and and someone ha- and, and and private private equity come in, private equity come in and build a build a stadium for the city. Mm. Now, well said, Stephen. Well said. Hey, look, um, we're going to have Martin Cross, throwing commentator extraordinaire, join us very shortly on the program. Nice. Thank you for phoning. Greatly appreciated. Uh, you know, I always love having a crack, Walter. No, nah, it's all good, mate. That's my job to get engagement, my good man. Eight and a half, <laughs> eighteen and a half. Eight, See ya. Nineteen minutes after nine, you're listening to SENZ telephone number oh eight hundred one five zero eight double one. You can text us here on double eight double three. We are taking your calls. It is twenty three minutes after nine. You're listening to SENZ telephone numbers oh eight hundred one five zero eight double one. So interesting conversation there with Stephen McIver too, in and around. Uh, the death of the Queen and the way British sport have reacted to it, postponing the latest round of the English Premier League. Uh, would we do the same here in New Zealand? I think probably most people wouldn't be in agreement with it. But then, again, we are part of the Commonwealth and the Queen is technically head of state, but we probably have distanced ourselves a lot from the monarchy in recent times. One man who's well accomplished in British sport, a bronze medalist from 1980 in the sport of rowing and a gold medalist from 1984. Um, He'll be a familiar voice to a lot of New Zealand sports fans because he was one of two commentators who brought us all the action at the Tokyo Olympics last year when New Zealand rowing had one of its best Olympics, including winning the men's eight. His name is Martin Cross, and I was lucky enough to work with him in the second week of the Games on the kayaking. Martin, good evening. Welcome. Mark, it's great to be talking to you again. Martin, have, has British sport done the right thing in the way they've paid tribute to the Queen, or is it a bit over the top? I mean, what is the right thing to do? Uh, as I said, we don't yeah. live in we don't live in the UK. We see things slightly differently. I think it's really interesting. All the people that I've spoken to, I haven't spoken to anybody who thought it was right that the FA cancelled all the Premiership fixtures uh, last weekend. Um, Mostly, um, I, I think the the fan, the, what the fans felt, that was it would give a chance to honour the in its silence. You sing the national anthem, and um, you wear black armbands, and you know there there could be uh, pictures of the Queen um, on the big screens, and so on and so forth. And that would be a way to honour the Queen coming together, but. Uh, the, they've missed out on that and so a lot of people that I've been talking to feel that there's an overreaction by the FA mm. yeah, and, I, um, I think, go on no, I was just going to say, Martin, sorry, you're just breaking up a little bit, but um, I was going to say, I mean, we saw what golf tournaments being shortened by a round. We saw the cricket, the third test between England and South Africa being delayed by a day. Um, they seem to probably get the balance right. I think you're absolutely right. I think with cricket, that, that was spot on. I think there were lots of lots of talk when the Queen died, oh, the, the, the test is going to be cancelled. But then what they did was to honour the Queen with the, you know, uh, they, they had a guard of honour, they had some soldiers on, on the pitch, they, they had a minute's silence, they had the national anthem sung, and then people wore black armbands, and then they got on with the business of, 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 of playing sport. And I think 
That's absolutely right. From what I understand, I think that the planning for the Queen's funeral and, and what would happen in the, in the 10 days previously had gone on for some time. And my understanding is that the FA, the Football Association, had decided it would cancel games. Um, so, you know, we had, for example, at school, uh, the school I work at, there, was, uh, there were no football games because the Football Association cancelled football, but they were playing rugby, hmm. um, which, which didn't seem right at all. Um, I, I think probably if you're going to cancel games, then uh, it's right to cancel games on the day of the funeral and not to have any sport on that day. But I think otherwise it's a bit of an overreaction. Yeah, because I mean, I read an interesting piece um, on the BBC website some time ago where they talked about, you know, let's be honest, um, there's a lot of people in England who do do it tough and football is that escapism for them. And they said that the happiest time of the week, and it was more symbolic, was 10 minutes to three on a Saturday because that was 10 minutes before kickoff and 10 minutes before a weekend of football. And, you know, we know how important the Queen is to the UK, to Britain. And, you know, sometimes it's, it's it provides that escapism. But at the same time, to come together, have a chat, celebrate it, enjoy the football. Well, I think people wanted to come together. I think, uh, you know, uh, they had a couple of European matches. The day the Queen died, they had a couple of European matches um, that were played. And the players uh, came together, one of them in the Queen Elizabeth Park, the, the West Ham team. And the players came together in the centre circle. They all wore black armbands. There were pictures of the Queen on, on the screen. You know, there were impromptu renditions of the, of the national anthem. And, it, and it, people felt they had a chance to honour the Queen by being together. Um, and, and football fans missed out on that opportunity uh, mm. this weekend because they would have liked to have done that together. Mm. Um, and, 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 you know, and then got on with the business of playing sports. So um, I think that was uh, an opportunity missed from the fans' mm. point of view. Yeah, racing, another one. Uh, she's a big, big, the Queen, big fan of um, thoroughbred racing and horse racing, and they also cancelled a number of their meets. Your sport, Rowing Martin, have they got anything coming up where, as a community, they can acknowledge the Queen? Or Well, that's a great shout. They had the World Masters Championships last week, and there was an acknowledgement, a minute silence, during the World Masters Championships which was uh, taking place in Europe. But what we got coming up, Mark, is um, the World Rowing Championships. And they start on um, September the 18th and on the Sunday and the day before the Queen's funeral. So I think that's going to be really quite interesting um, because obviously the British team are planning to race, but that means that some of them will be racing in the World Championships on the day of the funeral. So... um, I would go back to when Lady Diana Spencer died. That was in the middle of the 1997 World Championships. And there were calls, there were calls for the British team to withdraw from the World Championships, but they didn't. And in the end, they wore black ribbons on their racing vests. And because there was no sport that weekend at all of the, of the funeral, um, the pictures of the rowers, uh, the Steve Redgrave for line, were all on the back pages, heads bowed during the national anthem uh, with black ribbons and, and that was quite an effective tribute but I haven't heard from British rowing uh, exactly what they're going to do but they will have to think yeah. of something Yeah, I mean you'd like to think that you know, society has moved on that playing sport's not negative it can be a wonderful way of paying tribute as you just alluded to and if rowing needs a reminder is to maybe go back and look at 
what you just described and look at that photo on the back pages and look how it can be done. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely right. And I, I think one of the things that I'm struck by is because clearly there's going to be so many people from all around the world that will uh, pay their respects to Queen Elizabeth and visit uh, the funeral. I think it would be really appropriate if the sport of rowing at the World Rowing Championships did find time for a minute's silence to honour the athletes and to recognise that they will be, the British athletes will be racing on the day of the funeral. Mm-hmm which, you know, will be a bank holiday. And, and I think, again, that's an example of how sport can come together. Mm. And, um, you know, the British, because they have a lot of money, because you know, they have been quite successful, they're not exactly one of the most popular teams in, in world rowing. Mm. Uh, but I think that would be a way that the, the sport mm. could acknowledge, um, you know, the grief of the British people and, and the rowers at that time. Mm. You, you what? connection has the royal family had with rowing do they have patrons or i know that is it prince william that i think is part of the fa but what about rowing what's the connection there with royalty so the big connection uh with royalty and rowing is the henley regatta yes so the henley it's called the henley royal regatta and uh the queen visited henley um uh, some years ago now, but uh, she's she's been to the regatta. She's followed racing in the launches, and uh, she sort of quite graciously honoured the regatta by naming the cup for um, Schoolboy Eight, the Princess Elizabeth Challenge Cup. So that that is probably the, the the most important connection. The Duke of Edinburgh was patron of uh, one of the clubs. I'm fortunate enough to be a member of London Rowing Club. So he agreed to be a patron of that club. He visited the club, um, talked to the athletes, um, looked at them training and so on and so forth. So there is that connection with rowing, um, but mainly through the Henley Royal Regatta, which obviously uh, you would like to think that there would be a connection with Prince Charles. He hasn't, as far as I'm aware, visited the regatta, but it'd be great to see him there. Is there any other sport outside of racing? Um, clearly, we know there's an affiliation with football, but is there any other sort of particular sport that have got a real, real heavy sort of current link to the royal family, more so than perhaps others? Yeah, I think, you know, that would probably be, you know, anything equine. So um, I think uh, the three-day eventing, because Princess Anne was herself an Olympian in three-day eventing. So uh, I think, you know, the royal family has has been to those events. Uh, Quite often Princess Anne is is regularly at those events. So um, outside of that, you you do see Princess Anne um, and and, uh, Prince William, to be fair, uh, and so now he'll probably have to support Wales, I think, in the rugby union matches and the Six Nations, <laughs> um, because he's now Prince of Wales. So he'll be changing his uh, allegiance. Mm. Uh, Princess Anne, she goes, she supports uh, Scotland. Mm. Um, so she goes mm. with an England Scotland matches at Murrayfield. She's there and supports Scotland. And I guess Prince William now, he's become the new Prince of Wales. There's no way that he could go to an England-Wales match and not support Wales. Yeah, I I just want to ask you this because there's obviously been a member of the Commonwealth over here, um, the Queen's head, um, coins, um, part of our paper currency as well, and there's going to need to be changed there. But there's so much more sort of royal protocol in the UK in regards to, say, uh, the linguistic side of sport. Um, some of the pomp and ceremony. How much is it? How much does it now change moving from a queen to a king? And can you maybe give us an example? Well, I, I think it's 
fans are pretty adaptable. Um, so that West Ham game that I mentioned, um, I don't think the national anthem had been sung with God Save the King. Um, and, it, and it wasn't sung officially at the match. But all through the match, the West Ham supporters were giving unofficial renditions of God Save the King. So um, I think that's probably the most noticeable uh, the most noticeable change in terms of the, the mm. pomp and circumstance. Mm. And I think what I mentioned in, in terms of rugby, you know, I think the Prince of Prince William uh, being made Prince of Wales, mm. he will now absolutely be all over Welsh sport. Mm. Um, and I know he's president uh, of the FA, but um, I, I think that's going to be a significant change. Otherwise, Mark, I don't think there's going to be too many changes. Mm. And just finally, Martin, um, as I said, we, you know, it's sort of a bit split here in New Zealand versus being a republic and what does the royal family mean? And certainly for an older generation, it's still very, very strong. I'm sort of, there's parts of me, you know, don't get me wrong, I thought she was a wonderful head of state, but there's other parts of royalty which I, I don't sort of really agree with. Where's the general gist in the UK? Are, are, are you seeing a shift or are still most people 100% behind the royal family in the UK? Yeah, I think that most people in this time are behind the royal family, even if they are Republicans in the period of grief. I think that there is a, a move that a sea change and a shift will come. Um, I think that the the loyalty owed by you know people to Queen Elizabeth was so strong yeah. that now with um, th- th- there's best wishes for Charles as King Charles III. But I think it's going to take a lot for him to engender the same kind of loyalty. I think republicanism will probably, in the UK, it's not particularly strong, but I think it will grow stronger. Um, Mm. And I think most importantly, it will grow... It will grow stronger in Commonwealth countries like, you know, like Australia, like New Zealand. I think Jamaica is another country which is planning to have a referendum on whether it's a republic or not. And I think the big change will come in Britain's relationships with our overseas territories. My guest is uh, rowing commentator Martin Cross. He would have called some of the great golden moments for New Zealand and Tokyo. Martin, just before I do let you go, just focusing on the Rowing World Championships, are you heading there yourself as a commentator? Absolutely. I'm really looking forward to it flying out on Saturday to the Czech Republic. Okay. You reckon we can, might be able to occasionally get you on radio, eh, Martin? You know, you'd do me a favour, wouldn't you, Martin, if yeah, we find the timing? Yeah, yeah, I hope so. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've got, um, We've got a New Zealand women's pair and men's pairs up for winning gold medals, so um, hopefully they'll be able yeah. to follow in the footsteps. Yeah. Was, was there a major review of the back of British rowing after the back of Tokyo? I mean, they were pretty disappointing, say, in comparison to New Zealand, who did it on you know basically the smell of an oily rag financially compared to, say, the British setup. Yeah, there, there was a major review. People lost their jobs. The performance director, Brendan Purcell, lost his job. Uh, the chief executive of British Rowing, Andy Parkinson, lost lost mm. their job. And there is now a big sea change. And the, the, the one thing that's been really, uh, you know, impressive is that the British men are now kind of at the top of the world. The British men's eight are now the fastest men's eight in the world. The favourites for the gold medal. But the British women, who were so disappointing in the rowing in... Um, in Tokyo, are now coming back to challenge for medals. And and I think that's been a result of the changes and the mm. reviews that happened mm. following Tokyo. A lot more safe for the athletes now. What did the British, this British eight, take from the performance of the New Zealand eight? Because we were somewhat unconventional in terms of the way we set that boat up, weren't we? Yeah, I, I think um, the notion was... Uh, 
if you took a look at the preparations for the, I, I think you know the way that New Zealand prepared for the Olympics, the way they, the, the way they came in on their training camps, uh, the way they uh, did the Olympic qualification regatta, and then you know just kept that single focus uh, was much much more impressive than the way the the British team did their. You know, there, there was a lot of talk of the British team in the Tokyo Olympics of, of not having, they should have had a training camp in Japan prior to the Tokyo Olympics rather than just fly in. They were on rowing machines for quite a lot of the time rather than in the boat. And all those kind of things affected the British. And of course, they sacked their coach, their chief coach, their talisman, Jurgen Grobler, just before the Olympics. Whereas New Zealand had this continuity of coaching with Tony O'Connor for the men's eight. So, yeah, a lot of lessons to be learned. Martin Cross, lovely to have you on the programme. Lovely to catch up. I'm very envious. Enjoy the Rowing World Championships, my good man. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Martin Cross there um, giving us his thoughts on the reaction to sport in the UK in and around the death of Queen Elizabeth II. Uh, Over the top, um, I think perhaps football fans thought that cancelling the English Premier League, just listening to Martin there, was maybe a little bit over the top. Uh, you might want to have your say on it, 0800 150 um, I couldn't quite get my head around it, but then as Stephen McIver pointed out um, earlier on the programme, uh, royalty over there is seen very differently than the way we perhaps perceive it or perhaps a younger generation here in New Zealand perceive it. 0800-150-811 is the number. Okay, 0800 150 Nice to have a bit of Pearl Jam on the programme. One of the great songs. Uh, telephone number. We've got about six and a half minutes remaining of talk time this hour, and I'd like to get you on part of the programme. I think talk back is a better experience when you do phone through. 800 150 In your opinion, with the death of the Queen, should they have postponed the round of the English Premier League? Delayed the start of the third test between England and South Africa by a day? I, I don't agree with it. Look, I'll be honest, I don't agree with having a public holiday in this country to commemorate the Queen. I think we're probably split in regard to the relevance of royalty. Um, you know, I think the Queen, I think, is the exception to the rule. Wonderful head of state. But I just look at the absolute excess and wealth there and just always think that more could have been done. I'm not a socialist. I have no problem with the likes of the Jeff Bezos and those that have started in their garage and made themselves trillions of dollars. Good luck to them. But a lot of the stuff you just inherit, don't you? goes to the oldest child and you become the king or the queen. It's not really sort of a meritocracy. But the queen in the UK, to be fair, has been a rock for that country. Through the good times and particularly through the bad times, they've always had just that little bit of security knowing that they've got a level head in control when it really came down to it. Mind you, in more recent times, not as much control. Um, I think it's appropriate. You know, I was down at the Ames Games, intermediate school sports on Friday just commentating some soccer and commentate or football commentating some basketball and I've got to say the soccer teams all did a minute silence um, basketball didn't and I didn't have a problem with either um, I'm not sure that 11 year old kids really understand what they were having the minute silence for 
but from the experience of my own son who's eight, who watched a lot of television, various things, that the king is the king and the queen is the queen and you respect them and you honour them and they're the rulers. And it's quite, I love that sort of beautiful world of innocence. Uh, the other thing, there's plenty of things to talk about that we have been sort of discussing tonight. And we will bring up those after 10 o'clock as well and see if maybe we can capture that audience as people are sort of starting to settle down for the night or starting to go to bed. Uh, Pukekohe shutting down, sporting venues, another historical landmark that will be closed to motorsport and we'll find a new venue for it. Is that just part and parcel of sport? It happens all around the world. Or we are a small country. We've got some sports which have a rich history and we need to hold on to them and we need to protect them so that we're not just always looking back at photographs and saying, oh, we're this three-star, five-star hotel as this was once and refer to a landmark. Certain sports seem to get a bit of a free ride in this country. They want to turn Western Springs, the speedway, into a cricket ground. Why? Why should cricket deserve that? Seriously, they've got great resources. They've got enough good cricket grounds. We don't need to have a test venue in Auckland. People are happy to drive further south to Hamilton if need be. There's plenty of land outside of North Harbour Stadium on the outer ovals there to turn that into a cricket ground if you have to. You know, keep Western Springs. You know, it was part of my childhood. You know, I used to go along and watch Barry Butterworth and Ted Tracy. Um, the likes of Ivan Major. Very, very cool time. You know, we were a global powerhouse in Speedway. But it's, it's interesting, isn't it? The sort of those blue-collar sports, and let's be honest, motorsport tends to be a little bit more blue-collar. I think that word bogan probably tends to come more out of motorsport. But it just doesn't seem to get the recognition or just doesn't, seems to always get the rough end. It's always those elitist sports seem to get a bit of a free ride in this country. The America's Cup, cricket, rugby, but you look at league, you look at, motorsport yeah you know it's not as important hey they can make do we can move them along and is there that underlying prejudice that exists in sport in this country from our administrators had a text earlier talking about how you look at Ravindra you look at Ish Sodi you look at Ajaz Patel look they're all of Indian origin they've all been screwed around by New Zealand cricket can we take from Ross Taylor's book that perhaps there is a subconscious form of prejudice that exists in cricket, as an example. Does that go across into sports like motorsport rather than being based on race, more being based on socioeconomic backgrounds? Phone the program 0800 150 is the number. Yeah, well, I think there is a bit of a prejudice towards sports like league and motorsport in this country um, and those sports that tend to be associated a little bit more with blue collar. You know, look at cricket, they just get a free ride, don't they? Look at rugby, they get a free ride. They do. Um, hey, we were just talking a little bit about music too. We were talking about Pearl Jam's Black, um, which you played earlier. One of the great albums, 10. Almost 30 years old, hard to believe. Incredible. 
Absolutely incredible. And Absolutely timeless. Yes, yeah, some fantastic songs on there. Oh, there's not a bad song on the album. And we were saying, and you can, we can text us on this too, but always a danger when a band make, comes out with their debut album and it's so good, you go, how are you going to beat this? How are you going to top this? How are you going to evolve? And, and some of them don't. Counting Crows, great example with August and everything after. Yeah, we were talking about lots of bands and then ranking our favourite albums. So <laughs> it's a shame that you kind of don't get it in music today, these days. It's more just you don't hear that you won't. I don't think lots of the artists around today you're not going to hear of in what ten years' time, and we'll still be talking about the likes of Pearl, your Pearl oh, Jam. There'll always and be that. There'll always be the one or two. Every decade's going to throw somebody up, aren't they? Um, but you know, I'm going to go to Guns and Roses probably in Wellington and probably in Auckland, and I sort of think you know Pearl Jam. ACDC is still very, very relevant. Rolling Stone's a bit more nostalgic. But I'm just trying to think of those modern acts that are going to just have that longevity. Anyway, uh, after 10 o'clock, we'll bring you, I love this word, an eclectic mix of sport. Great great album, Ben. Um, Perfect Blue Building, Mr. Jones, all of those. Um, Omaha, just the yeah, soundtrack of the 90s, mid-90s for me. Very heavily into my triathlon. I used to travel around the country doing a lot of team races with some very good athletes. And I always remember playing this, driving down through the central North Island. It's a powerful medium music, isn't it? It can take you back to a time and a place, sometimes like smells. And there's a lot in it. Like if you're an athlete and you listen to this song and you go out and have a really, really good day, you might say, hey, I'm going to have that on my playlist every week because it might be, the, might be just, you know, click me into that sort of zone again. I can imagine you running down the streets of wherever Mount Eden with the ghetto blaster on your shoulder. Come on, man. That, that, that was the 80s, mate. That was the 80s. Oh, sorry, sorry. That was, are you talking about the portable Walkman then with yeah, the, have, the no, CDs? I used to have the portable Walkman and the portable CD. When I was living in Japan, 1988, 89, 1990, etc. 1989, actually, 1991. Um, I had all of those. I had, thought I had the coolest Walkman, and it was pretty flash for the time. It even had the CD little player as well. I'd listen to Appetite for Destruction from Guns N' Roses while trying to learn to ride a bike, having no idea what I was doing on a triathlon bike um, in a place called Chigasaki in Kanagawa, Japan. Uh, I always remember listening to the World Series when the earthquake hit San Francisco in 1989. It was the Oakland A's. Uh, Mark McGuire was playing. I think it was, was it Eckert was on the mound? Anyway, um, I've normally got a pretty good memory. Mind you, that is 1989, isn't it? Was it Kurt, Kurt Eckert? Kurt Eklund? Not Eklund from the Blues. Anyway, um, three minutes after 10. Hey, look, um, I've got plenty of audio. We're going to play this hour. I don't know who's out there in Radio Land and if you want to phone the program, but I'd love to hear from you. 0800 150811. You can text us here on 8833. I, I just want to bring up this. And, and please, uh, this is not. A, I'm not trying to be – I'm not sexist, okay? There's nothing to do with this issue at all. But there's an article in – Stuff that says New Zealand rugby penalised two hundred eighty thousand dollars for not reaching gender diversity targets on its board. And I'll read you the article. I just this stuff just does my head in in this country. It really does. This actually is not beneficial to sport. It can be detrimental either way you go. And it says New Zealand rugby has been penalised, losing two hundred eighty thousand dollars in sport New Zealand funding because of a lack of women on its board. Out of the 65 major New Zealand sporting organisations, New Zealand Rugby was the only one not to reach the government-mandated 40% women on board's quota by December 2021. The $280,000 in Sport New Zealand funding will be returned if the quota is met. However, financial penalties will increase to nearly $600,000 if New Zealand Rugby 
continues to be non-compliant next year, a Sport New Zealand statement said. So our government has legislated, legislated a quota system. So we don't just, I believe in equal opportunity. Everybody should have an equal opportunity, but I don't believe in equal outcome. If you go and have a look around the world, the countries that have tried to have equal outcome, as the great Toronto professor Jordan Peterson will tell you, off the back of that philosophy, there are bodies piling up. Communist Russia, Mao in China, Nazi Germany, etc. Now that might sound a little bit extreme. You cannot have quota systems. So we're going to have 40% of women on boards. I don't care if it's 80% women, please. If just by natural selection, 80% of your women are bored, good on you, as long as they're the best people. Happens to be 70-30 in favour of women, great, as long as they're the best people. Happens to be 80-20 in favour of men, great, as long as it's the best people. You're running organisations here. You've got to have the right skill sets. Yes, you want to encourage more men and women to put their hands up and to get on boards and to have that level of governance, but you can't manufacture the outcome, man. It's never worked. It never will work. New Zealand Rugby, I thought, actually came out and made a pretty good statement on this. This is what their response was. The New Zealand Rugby Board acknowledges that we have not met Sport New Zealand's requirement for 40% representation of women on the board by December 2021. And the subsequent financial penalty for non-compliance, while this funding is valuable to New Zealand rugby, it will not impact our current work streams in the professional or community game, he said. Mitchell said the board had 50% overall diversity. Okay, so I would imagine that we're talking, what, racial and um, gender. And pathways were being developed to ensure more diverse rugby boards in the future. Emerging director Pauline Lighton was also brought on this year, he said. Rugby benefits when there is a range of demographics, skills, backgrounds and personal characteristics on board. Moving forward, it is critical that we maintain a long-term focus to ensure sustainable and meaningful change. Okay? And that's what it is. You get the best people. You look at your areas that you're short and that you're weak in and you go, hey, how do we bring in that level of expertise? We want to get the best people. Okay, that's what's wrong with this country now. Everything's become about identity politics. Equal opportunity, but not equal outcome. Women in Rugby Aotearoa board chairman Tracy um, Hulpapa said New Zealand rugby had made a series of missteps regarding women and women's rugby in the past 12 months and could, avoided missing the, and could have avoided missing the quota deadline. But what if they just didn't feel that that was in the best interest of the game? That perhaps the expertise weren't there? She said it was concerning New Zealand rugby had dismissed the important outcome. No, you missed the point. You, it, it, based on your theory and having 40% and having an outcome, surely that then should be 40% of rugby players in this country are women, 40% of clubs, memberships are owned by women. 
I, I just get sick and tired of everything being politicised now. It's just got to be a meritocracy with an underlying system of equal opportunity. Simply put, and, and um, what's her name goes on to say, Tracy Halpuppas goes on to say, simply put, Sport New Zealand's requirement for 40% representation of women on the New Zealand rugby board is both achievable and critical to the overall business success of rugby and Aotearoa. Why is it critical to the overall success? What, all men are chauvinists and not going to address the women's game? There's not the expertise otherwise to progress the women's game? Wera, um, which is women's women in rugby, Aotearoa, known as Wera, is delighted to see the calibre of Dame Patsy Reddy and Rowena Davenport joining the board, bringing with them both commercial and sector experience. Yeah, yeah, but the other board members bring her that, and they've worked with a lot of women underneath them or next to them. You're saying that if you have a board that's got more than 40% male on it, that somehow, somehow... The male patriarchy is going to marginalise women. What an absolute rover, what a sweeping statement, what an absolute load of rubbish. Oh eight hundred one five oh eight double one is the number. Dave, good evening, welcome. G'day, Mark. How are you doing? Yeah, good, yeah that is a load of rubbish because the best person should get the job. Absolutely. And conversely, on these women's board, is there forty percent men on all of them? Well, I don't know. You I don't. Know? I I don't know. Well, that would but that would be the opposite, wouldn't it? Yeah. I, look, I, I, I. Yeah, but I know. But that's what it should be. It should be. You know, it should be like you want parity. See, the other thing, Dave, it annoys me too, is I read an article the other week about how women's rugby is being treated unfairly because it's very hard to find out where you buy tickets, and it was almost like this particular person was making trying to find trying to rationalise why perhaps people weren't actually watching the women's rugby or turning up in numbers or perhaps weren't watching it in the droves. And part of the problem is, Dave, is because in this political environment, a lot of that stuff, the importance of it's been manufactured and manufactured by the media and doesn't actually ring true amongst a lot of people. Let it organically grow. As I said, create equal opportunity and then see what comes out of it. But stop trying to miss all those middle stages of development to just be box ticking. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, it's not a communist state. We don't have to go and watch women's rugby unless we want to. And like you say, let it organically grow. I've watched women's rugby. I watched um, the Black Ferns play England at Cricketham, and it was a damn good game, you know, after the All Blacks. And I watched it because I wanted to watch it, not because I was told to watch it. No, no. Look, um, I mean, I I love watching women's track and field. I love watching women's swimming. Uh, I love watching uh, the Silver Ferns when they take on the Aussies in netball. I love watching women's tennis. I'd still like to see them play five sets in a Grand Slam. But I love all that. But it's organically growing. And and yeah, I I just it just frustrates me that you, you know it's not just about getting equality now. It's actually now about getting payback, and it's not the right approach. Anytime you hear the word equity, you're basically going down the line of communism. Yeah, well, when you mentioned um, the tennis, the isn't am I right in thinking the prize money is the same for women and men, even though the men play five sets and the women play three sets at Wimbledon, they still get a you know million odd pounds. Yeah, 
winning? Absolutely they do, yeah. And again, I mean, you know, look, I've got no problem. Women should play five sets, and I think a lot of women tennis players, apparently it's just to do with scheduling of television. Look, look, this is not, and I don't, this is not about being anti-women. It's nothing to do with it. I, I mean, I'd be, no, an, no, I, no. I'd be annoyed if, I'd be annoyed if they said you've got to have 40% men on your board. All I'm saying, the bigger point here is you, you can't have quota systems. You just cannot do it. It is just fundamentally wrong. Well, look at how long it's taken South African rugby with the quota system to get to where they are. It took them all those years because those the, the players of colour weren't up to speed with the game and they couldn't pick the best players. Uh, no, look, I mean, I, I think South Africa is slightly different because they've never had the equal opportunity system in place and it, it's so far the other extreme. And part of the reason why South Africa brought the quota system is because Super Rugby below refused to do it and they felt they needed to try and move things sideways. So I'm a little bit more empathetic to South Africa, but I don't agree with the quota system when it comes to picking your national team. I don't. I mean, I think you've got to try and bring them more in at a domestic level. But when it comes to your national team, you still want to pick your best players. But, you know, we... Sh- yeah. y- y- there's, there's a guy out there, um, and, and he gets hammered by the left because he's so damn articulate and brings common sense to the argument. A uh, Toronto professor by the name of Jordan Peterson. You should hear him talk about this scenario. He's the smartest guy I've heard, and if, you've got, if you're open-minded and you're rational, then it'll be very hard to not agree with his argument regarding all of this. And he's not, it's not, this has nothing to do with being anti-women or anything. He's just talking generally about quota systems. No, the be, like, like you said at the start, mate, the best person's got to get the job. Big corporations that are private, they don't have a quota system on gender, race or whatever. They get the best people that will uh, take their business forward. The end of that's how they do it. Well, I mean, you look at you look at a whole lot of the um, nonsense that's gone on. Are you telling me that New Zealand rugby uh, would have dealt better and handled the situation better at the moment with a quota system of 40% with some of the board decisions they've had to make. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's absolute nonsense. It comes down to expertise. And also people have got to want to put their hand up and be passionate about it. And so before you just start making sweeping statements and saying, oh, sports uh, anti-women or a sport is prejudiced towards women or they're all chauvinists, you actually go, well, hang on a minute. We put it all out there. We've opened it all up. We've had a really transparent process. We had 200 men wanting to put their hand up, and we had 10 women. Well, of course, you're going to have greater depth of talent amongst the 200 men than you're probably going to have in the 10 women. So you can't just say, well, we've got to pick four. So we'll just take four out of the 10, and then we'll take four, or we'll take five or six out of the 200 men. Of course, you're going to get a disparity in terms of talent and ability. It's ridiculous. Yeah, at least those. At least those ten women are absolutely outstanding in the. Oh, and, and look, you might, and, and you might, yeah, yeah, they might be, but. And it's they, hardly no, but Dave, you're 100. But Dave, you're 100 correct. Those ten women could be the best ten candidates, and therefore, hey, put all ten of them on the board and have no guys. I've got no problem with that, none whatsoever. No, 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 yeah, got to be careful though. Um, again, listen to Jordan Peterson. Listen to what he says. He, he mentioned some very, he mentioned some things in history where they've tried to go down that path that haven't worked out well. And he's a clinical, he's a clinical, he's a clinical psychologist. He's a professor at Toronto University, and he backs it all up with data. Okay. Yeah. I'll have a look at him. Yep. Oh, I know the guy's a genius, mate. He's the best orator on the planet, okay. Dave. He brings some common sense to the left, mate. Hey, thanks, Dave. Lovely to have you hey, on the what? program. 
Righto. Yep. Hawks Bay still got the shield. We've still got the shield. Oh mate, I hope you go and win. I hope you go and win the whole thing. I just have a feeling though that 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 thing called Canterbury are still just sitting in the background there somewhere, and they're stacked full of Super Rugby players. They sure are. Okay. Mm. Have a good night, mate. Hey, Thank appreciate you. it, Dave. Thank you. Um. Anyway, yeah. Look, I, I yeah. But see, see, it's interesting. You come in, you have this conversation, and then the left or the feminists will then accuse you of being a chauvinist, and it's it's that's it's got that's it's it's not that at all. It's not that at all. It just doesn't work. Have the best people. It, it's interesting because um, this guy Jordan Peterson and. Um, I uh, yeah I, I I enjoy listening to him and I know a lot of people do um, because he just brings a bit of balance sometimes to some sort of sweeping statements. Um, yeah, he talks about you know there's a lot of stuff about how men uh, you know the only relationship between men and women's been one of complete and utter domination and he sort of breaks that down too and provides some really good scenarios and provides some really interesting facts and it just brings some clarity at times. He sort of articulates what you're sort of thinking. Um, but uh, interesting, he, he, he says that in egalitarian societies, so countries where you've had equality uh, the longest and you've got legislation in place to make sure that there's 100% absolute equal opportunity, uh, men and women absolutely given the same rights, encouraged to do everything. He said even in those countries, they were surprised by this. Rather than men and women coming closer together in terms of their likes and their intent, uh, their ambition, they actually moved further apart. And so places like Finland and Sweden, for every one female nurse, uh, for every one male nurse, there's still 20 female nurses. For every one female engineer, there are still 20 male engineers. And human psychology, all the rest of it, says that men and women are different. Women like people, men like things. And that's actually okay. Anyway, went off on a little bit of a tangent, but just that whole quota system, um, it's just fundamentally wrong. It's just fundamentally wrong. It's like increasing minimum wage here and manipulating economics. I will increase minimum wage. The minimum wage is set based on the model and algorithm that is economics. That's why the average hourly wage in Fiji is $2 an hour. Once South Korea had a very low minimum wage, but as the country grew, as it economically became a powerhouse, Economics lifted incomes, lifted the standard of living. And so you start manipulating things, something else has got to move, something else has got to change. Nineteen minutes after ten, you're listening to SENZ telephone numbers eight hundred one five oh eight double one if you want to have your say. It is 23 minutes after 10, telephone number is 0800 150 If you want to phone the programme, we'd love to hear from you. We're through through to 11 o'clock. Jump on, have your say. Um, we talked earlier tonight too, we spoke to um, Zane Bojack, a uh, very good 
Australian Rugby League commentator and outstanding talent to have on the radio, just talking about the NRL um, weekend that has been marred with a reasonable amount of controversy, particularly in the game played between the Roosters and the Rabbitohs, seven yellow cards, um, Burgess um, picking up two of them, really should have been sent off, uh, Jared Wawira Hargraves, um, some pretty, yeah, ugly moments from him in it. Um, and one of the discussion points was I like the gladiatorial nature of the league. I like the fact there's some niggle. I don't have a problem with the punch-up. I have an issue with players deliberately trying to maim another player and potentially end their career and going in with the cheap shots, particularly when the biggest turnoff for a lot of parents now is the concussion issue. But when it's all said and done, for all the controversy that surrounded the Rabbitohs Roosters, it's created a hell of a lot of excitement now in the playoffs and it's going to drive even greater interest now into this weekend's semi-finals. It'll be the Eels taking on the Raiders, the Sharks, Rabbitohs. Cowboys have a week off, as do the Penrith Panthers. What it will also do is it'll engage, it'll increase and enhance the rivalry between Easts and the Roosters even more. And the interest, due to the niggle off the back of this game, will be mouthwatering when the two sides meet next year as part of the round robin. We saw Thomas um, Thomas Turkle and... Sorry? No, it's the same. We saw we saw Thomas Tuchel from Arsenal and Pep Guardiola from Spurs in an English Premier League game, basically coming to fisticuffs at the end of a game. Now Thomas Tuchel's moved on, but that again is another narrative, rightly or wrongly, that generates even more interest. The next time those two sides meet, not that Tuchel's now in charge of Chelsea, but if he was to still be there, even mouthwatering, not just happening on the field, but how the two managers are going to react to each other. You know, Burgess versus Hargraves. How big a rivalry does that become next year, Ben? It probably will be to an extent, and especially if both guys are going to be featuring at the Rugby League World Cup later this year as well, that will probably be a match-up which should be identified. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I look, I... <laughs> we've got to be careful we just don't dumb sport down that try and believe that we as human beings are perfect and therefore we don't like any of that. No, we're not. Sometimes sport is just a microcosm of society. It's got good things, it's got bad things, it's got brilliance, it's got um, fraudsters, you name it. But I think that's part of the attraction. And this whole sort of mentality, oh, we've got to appease the family. Now, look, parents are the greatest influence on your kids. State of origin was never more popular when you had the biff. The biggest sporting events in the world are rugby league, uh, have been boxing and mixed martial arts because people love a train wreck. If you've been listening tonight, I'll say it. Man's, you pick up a newspaper, what's on the front cover? Man's defeats. What's on the back cover? Man's victories. In America, violent crime is the lowest it's been since the early 1960s. We have a perception, though, that it's incredibly high. Why? Because there's been a proliferation in the reporting of violent crime because it rates. 
And I think sometimes these sports organisations, again, in the political environment, have got to be too, have got to be a little bit careful that they don't play everybody for fools, that they don't just set up their sport around appeasing 2% of the goody two-shoes, the 2% who won't turn up anyway, whether you take the brawl out, whether you take the niggle out. You know, we saw the Wellington Sevens in this country, uh, which was one of the great sporting events, shut down because people, people, and I won't name those people, started complaining about the excess of alcohol and people leaving the stadium and urinating in the streets. So they cut the alcohol out. The fun police came in and took all the fun out of it. People stopped going. Those that complained and got their way didn't bother turning up anyway. And it's no longer in Wellington. You know, I think the NRL, because of the genius and the brilliance in the middle of the park and the brands that surround certain athletes, the history of the clubs, combined with some of the skullduggery, combined with the scandals, is what makes it so appealing. Why it's so engaging. Because we're all flawed. And the NRL is just a perfect metaphor for it. English Premier League football to a degree as well. Yes, brilliance on the field. Managers have a go at each other. There's rivalries. There's hate. There's history. There's fans. There's lots to celebrate. And there, of course, is often the tabloid stuff off the field as well. Where we've become so, so sterile here that there's just zero engagement in our sport. I mean, when was the last time a player said a bad word about another player, a manager or a coach said a bad word about another coach? When was there any hard-hitting criticism on the major broadcast partner, Sky, in regards to critiquing or criticising or having a real crack? It doesn't happen. You know, the moment there's any slight little bit of slightly high tackle, we take the yellow card out. The moment there's any bit, we bring the yellow card out. Like, that's what we all want to watch because we're all perfect and we expect everybody else to be perfect. I I mean, it's just such a dumb philosophy. 10.30, is the number, Ben. I do that with my kids, Ben, and they, I say, I'm a really good singer, and they go, you're terrible, Dad. You're terrible. They're on Team Garth. Yeah, and then I um, sometimes sing in the car with your friends and I turn around and tell their friends, I say, kids, you're not allowed to tell everybody, it's our secret. And so every time I see them, I say, you've been keeping our secret? And they don't know how to take me? I'll keep your secret. <laughs> yeah, good on you, mate, because I just don't want to have to go and sing everywhere, you know, it's tough. And then throw my break dancing in and it's just terrible. Hey, um, I think today we might have genuinely seen, being the changing of the guard in tennis for so long, it's been Djokovic, it's been Roger Federer, and it's been Nadal, and everybody's been hanging out, waiting um, for this era to end and a new one to begin. And tennis has always had great eras, hasn't it? And you go back to the likes of Stephen Edberg, Ivan Lendl, John McEnroe, uh, Jimmy Connors, and then you had the Agassiz, the Sampras, and then this group of three players. We've seen guys like Tsitsipas, the Greek player, come through and hasn't quite cracked it yet. Um Shapilov, the Canadian, hasn't quite cracked it yet. And then suddenly, a bit of talk around this kid, Carlos Alcaraz, just 19 years of age. And 
today he fulfills the hype, the youngest ever world number one, and wins his first Grand Slam at 19 years of age. Uh, I think it was Nadal who won a Grand Slam at 19, the French Open. I think it was 2005, if I read correctly, earlier in the day. And so a new generation begins, but you've got to have a rival. You've got to have, you don't have Agassi without Sampras, do you? So is the rival Kaspar Rudd? Second major final and hasn't won either yet. I think he's 23 or 24 years out of Norway. We've got some audio here from Carlos Alcaraz. Uh, what that victory meant for him. Pretty emotional, as you would expect after winning that US Open. I mean, uh, it has been a, a great round here in the in US Open. Obviously, it's uh, great to, to have the trophy here. Uh, but uh, I would say I, I mean I overcome myself uh, a little bit. I mean I, yeah I, I played uh, great matches, high intensity during the the, the two weeks that uh, I've never done before. Uh, I just uh, can say that I'm, I'm really happy to uh, move on to to be number one of the world to uh, get uh, still growing. So I'm so so happy. Well, it's crazy for me, you know. Uh, I've never thought that the, I, I was going to achieve uh, something like that at 19 years old. Uh, so everything is came so so fast. So uh, I mean, for me, it's uh, unbelievable. This is something that I dream since I was a kid, since, since I start playing tennis, and uh, of course, uh, leave this trophy today is amazing for me. Death, uh, death things means a lot to me because my grandfather told me since I was uh, since I was a kid in in every match in every tournament. So and this is something that the, I remember in all the tough moments, all in, in the, all matches in all tournaments. I remember that. I remember my grandfather, and uh, it's something that the, thanks to that I can push me. Uh, Put myself uh, a little bit up, you know, in in the tough moments, uh, and yeah, of course, it's uh, thanks thanks to him. Interesting, isn't it? How um, tennis so much thanks goes to the father, the grandfather, or the mother; those people directly in the background. Uh, it's not always the case in some sports. Not always people are encouraging, but you probably need to in tennis. You need to have a lot of financial support, do you? Uh, don't you? But interesting too that another player that's come through clay court system. All the greats are learning to play from a young age on clay courts. What does New Zealand not have a lot of? Clay courts. Throw a lot of money at our junior players. Maybe we need to be spending more money on bricks and mortar or setting up a system overseas where we can send our young talent so they can learn to play from the baseline on the clay. Right, let's hear from the runner-up, the Norwegian, Kasper Rudd. Yeah, of course. uh, I think it was an exciting match to, to play and be a part of. It was... Many fun rallies and uh, fun shots, and uh, of course, disappointing in the end that it didn't go my way. But um, that's how it goes. It's um, 
Carlos stepped up when he really needed to, especially in the third set. It was uh, close to going my favor. I had some set points and couldn't take care of them. And he just played too good on those points. So uh, we've seen it many times before. He steps up when he needs to. And when it's close, he pulls out great shots. So um, he's um, all creds to him. But uh, at the same time, I'm proud of the match and uh, two weeks I gave it all I left it all out on the court and played some phenomenal tennis throughout the two weeks uh, probably my best best tennis ever on this surface so um, I'm very happy in the end so uh, we'll uh, hopefully get another chance at a slam in the future uh, we've probably never seen before but you have other great movers as well I mean this game has become so physically demanding that uh, and all the players in the top top of the world they do the right things to improve always and the speed and the agility of the players I think are just improving and improving and uh, the f physical aspect is uh, has been um, not changed, but uh, it has uh, improved by everyone. And I think Novak and Rafa and also Federer, I think they kind of set the bar on how well you can move out there. And Rafa, when he was, you know, Carlos' age, he was also <laughs> similarly tracked down everything and he, almost no one can hit a winner on him. And Novak, the same with his flexibility, he gets to certain shots that you think, like, how is that even possible? And Carlos sort of has a sort of mixture of both. He's fast and also flexible. He can slide around. So it's impressive. And uh, yeah, he's uh, hard not to crack. If you reach a Grand Slam final, whoever you play will be a great player on the opposite side of the net. Um, in Roland Garros, it was hard for me to believe that I could beat Rafa. Today was e not easier, but I, I, I believed it more. And I think... These two tournaments have sort of made my self-belief to win a Grand Slam grow and uh, hopefully these two experiences, experiences can help me and um, I guess I hope I don't play a Spanish player if I ever reach another Slam final. They, are, they know what they're doing in the Slam finals so let's hope for another than a Spanish. Boy, he came across well, Casper Rudd. Wow, what a statesman for tennis. Brilliant interview. Not a, you know, not beating up his opponent, not making excuses, just giving credit to Carlos Alcaraz and lovely little line at the finish, I don't want to play any more Spanish players. But must be the complete player because reaching the final of Roland Garros and then reaching the final of the US Open, very two very different surfaces, one slow, one incredibly fast. So the all-round player, that's got to be exciting. You know, a lot of players were good on the hard surfaces and good on the grass. You know, Ivan Lendl, John McEnroe, never won the French. Few players have won all four. Pete Sampras, I don't think, ever won the French, did he? No, he didn't. Federer, once. Andre Agassi, once. Seventeen minutes away from eleven, you are listening to SENZ. Telephone number here is oh eight hundred. 150811 is the number. Have we seen the changing of the guard here? Carlos Alcaraz, Casper Ruud, are they the future? Are they going to create the next great rivalry in tennis? They're young enough. No, no fluke that Casper Ruud got through the French Open final and now the US Open final. He's clearly an outstanding talent. Sometimes you will get just that player once in their career that goes on that Grand Slam run. Chris Lewis, the New Zealander, did it 1983, first unseeded player to reach a Wimbledon final. Um, but, you know, in between, that ends up being the pinnacle of the tennis tournament. 
Alcaraz just 19 and world number one already. Wow. We'll take a break. We'll come back with more. It is uh, 12 minutes away from 11, only about, what have we got, almost seven minutes left if you do want to phone the programme. Have your son any sporting matter, 0800 150 811. You can text us here on 8833. Um, you're a big fan of Australian music. Did you see John Farnham's just had surgery for throat cancer or tongue cancer, was it? Yeah, pretty, uh, well, you don't wish that upon anybody, do you? No, not, not as a singer too. I mean, he's <laughs> in his 70s, but clearly there are parts of the body that, um, uh, more desirable to others based on your vocation, based on your working um, status. And clearly, yeah, anything to do with the throat and mouth, uh, not not good if you're a singer. No, and of course, I think everyone wishes wishes the best for him. Uh, incredible musicians, had some cracking songs, but uh, for me, Jimmy Barnes is still the, the, the go-to well, Jimmy, of the Aussie. Jimmy Barnes is just the man's man, isn't he? I mean, he's just so, if you put Jimmy Barnes' music to supercars, you've just got it. You put Jimmy Barnes' music like he did with um, Tina Turner to NRL, and it just, he's just got that rough, gravelly sort of voice, doesn't he, which just accentuates sort of, I hate to say it, but masculinity and sport and, you know. Have you read any of his books? No, look, I'm not a big reader other than reading news, mate, to be honest. And I need to read more because the odd book that I have read, I've got well and truly entrenched in like Slash's book from Guns and Roses. There's been a few that I have, yeah. What about audiobooks? Do you listen to audiobooks? No, but I should. I, I, it's all new to me. And I, I, I know that I just need, I know how easy it is. What does it cost to buy an audiobook? Well, on the one I do, which is through uh, Audible, which I think is through Amazon, you pay, I think it's $15 a month for your subscription, and every month you get a free token, and a token can be used to get a book. Uh, otherwise, I think you pay, I think you can buy a certain amount of tokens to get books, and it's cheaper that way to, to get books. But ima- ima- imagine going for your, your, your run, because I know you love going for runs every day, and listening to uh, working class Man or working and someone's reading it to you, is it? Are they? It's Jimmy Barnes reading it to you, really? Yeah, so it's like a really long podcast, and he's telling his story without the questions. Yeah, he's reading it himself. Very very cool, man. Because I also haven't done a lot recently, but I love sitting on my road bike, which I set up on a wind trainer indoors. And um, I must get back into it over the summer. And sometimes it's just nice to stop running and give the legs a bit of a, a non weight bearing workout. And but boy, that can be brutally boring, and you can be looking at your watch a lot. But that would be perfect. Yeah, you, there's, there's are some really good books, books out there. I've got, I, I mainly get like the biographies because like, I I don't I don't like reading books. I have I have the books, but I don't really read them. So I prefer the audio books. And even if it's when I'm going to sleep, and I'll I'll put you know one of the headphones in and I'll listen to it. I'll set a timer. So, so what, on it. what else can you recommend? I mean, you like your music. Have you done anything out musically that you've read? Um, uh, I I think other music. Anthony Kiedis. Oh yeah, yeah. From Red, from Hot, Chili, Red uh, Hot Chili Peppers. That yeah. one is quite a bit old though, but I didn't enjoy reading that one. Uh, off the top of my head, I don't think I've read too many other. See, see the Guns and Roses Slash book. Really, at the end of the day, it's just all about heroin use. That's what I got out of it. Well, I think that's they were the just thing. heroin users, mate. To be fair, well, I think that's the thing with any music almost to the musician. degree where it's too much of it. Yeah, I, th- I kind of think that's the thing with quite a lot of the musicians because when Jimmy Barnes released his Working Class Man book, it opens with a very dark point in his life and he was in a, um, staying in Auckland actually and was on a bit of a, a bender. That's right, I remember it got a bit of publicity yeah, here at the time when he came out with it. Considering, you know, ending it all, which is you know not what you want to hear. Uh, but 
I, I think it's just, it just seems to be a very common thing in that yeah, musical world. He's got a strong affiliation with New Zealand, hasn't he? He's got I a strong affiliation his, with the Finn brothers. I think one of his kids lives here as well. Really? He's got, he's got family that live here too, yeah. Well, yeah. You know, he's just been around the country recently, hasn't he? Yeah, that's correct. With yeah, his, uh, soul, his soul tour, he's done about three soul albums, I think it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, look, it's, uh, it's something I need to tap into and explore. Oh, but I'll be even interested in just downloading books that are sort of mystery and and sort of, you know, um, action-type books as well. The only one that – I did read um, – have you ever read The Da Vinci Code? No. You should. Gripping. Gripping. You know, it's arguably one of the biggest-selling books in history, but it's, it's, it's gripping. I will tell you one key the thing. The movie that- was crap. But the book is good. <laughs> I haven't seen the movie, movie either. But the one key thing, if you get if you start listening to audiobooks, is you have you can, there's like a preview, so you can listen to it. It's very important to have uh, one where you the 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 narrator, the person reading the book, actually has a good voice because you, you hear some of them, and the the person reading it just not strong enough, just it, doesn't sell it. Nah, no, no. I mean, it's like, it's like when you promote movies isn't it and you get a Samuel L. Jackson or somebody doing it it just got that sort of gravitas and it just carries it or you get Richard Attenborough or someone to do it yeah exactly so I think lots of the biographies are generally read by the athletes like I think I got Tyson Fury's one which uh, which is done by him uh, the only ones I really don't have uh, that aren't sport related are all the Harry Potter ones but I can't remember I think I can't remember the guy's name who yeah. narrates them Stephen, Stephen, Sir Stephen Fry oh yeah Sir Stephen Fry he's actually I think he's become the chairman hasn't he of Lords of the Lords Cricket Club or the MCC do you know what else he is the MCC what else? He's also a massive, massive fan of darts. Is he? He is. Yeah. There's a there's a match with Phil Taylor about twelve years ago, and he's in the commentary box for it. Uh, and it, it's some very, very good stuff. I think it's on uh, online. If you go check that out. Yeah. Oh no. Good. 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 No, I enjoy um Stephen Fry. Yeah. No, a bit of a character. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, but I do get, get Da Vinci Code. There's a reason why it's. And I'm not a reader, and yet I started reading. I couldn't put it down. So that's a testament to how good it is because, yeah, it got me. Very clever story. Um, plays on a lot of where he's Brown, Dan Brown, the author, where he's very good is he – and you sort of learn how you can write a novel. You just take bits of history and then sort of connect them up and create a conspiracy. And um, it's very, very cool, man. Um, Leonardo da Vinci and the hidden meaning of his paintings and basically the search for um, – basically search for – um, the Holy Grail, and the Holy Grail in this case is the body of um, um, of Mary Magdalene, Jesus' wife, and what happened to it. And it's very cool, man. It's very, very good read. And it's all to do with codes and. Might have to wait till my next free token comes around. No, do it. Yeah, you won't put it down. It's stunning. Well, you won't have to put it down because you listen to it probably. Probably fall asleep to it. Yeah. Oh no, it's good. It's good. It's sort of. Um, it's one of those books where it's hard. TV can sometimes keep you. Is it? I don't know. Do books or TV keep you more engaged if they're well written or presented? Some te- some movies just don't do the books justice, and then sometimes the movie might actually do the book justice. Anyway, that is us for another night here on SENZ. It's been a privilege and a pleasure. Special thanks to Ben Francis. If you are travelling around the country, do take care. Look forward to having your company tomorrow night.